Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of episode. Why do I keep saying episode? Welcome to another installment of the Bat Around here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio in Baltimore, Maryland. We're coming to you live today. A beautiful Saturday, a cold Saturday. I saw 18 degrees on my phone. Uh, we know how I feel about the cold. First thing Zach asked me when I came in today was, I bet you didn't like that snow, did you? I don't mind the snow. I I I don't like the snow. Not 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 like when I was a kid. It doesn't like get you out of school anymore or anything like that. But uh, you know, it it was nice. I made some banana chocolate chip muffins. I uh, got some Christmas ra- Christmas presents wrapped and kind of just spent a nice day. I watched a couple of movies. I watched um, Premium Rush and Last of the Mohicans. My dad took me to see Last of the Mohicans in theaters when I was a kid. Not sure that's an appropriate movie to see when you're eight or nine years old, but. Whatever, it's a good movie, one of my favorites of all time. So, sorry, turn the music up instead of off. Uh, Zach, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I actually really enjoyed the snow. I always enjoy it, you know. Yeah, I, but I, that's because you're a young buck. You're probably still out there sledding and building snowmen and having snowball fights. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's it's always good to have snow. I, I always like it, but, you know, it's it's always kind of bad when it starts melting and everything gets pretty wet and uh, your, your car gets covered, and uh, that's never fun. Yeah, I think that... What I don't like about the snow is the cleanup. Got to shovel the driveway. Now, for the six years prior to this year, I, I didn't have a driveway to shovel. I lived, at, so I lived in a townhouse with just, that just had parking spaces out front. Now we have a driveway and a walkway and a front stoop, and I had to dig my car out of the one parking spot, and I had to shovel the, the driveway. And then the plow comes through, and everything that, they, that you shovel, they just build a big snow wall in front of your driveway and behind your car, and... Just a pain in the butt, but I, I guess that's why. I, and you can't do anything. I'm an outdoor guy, and but like a summer outdoor guy, not like a winter outdoor guy. So for for me, snow doesn't really serve too much of a purpose. We don't live in an area where we can ski. I don't want to drive three hours to go ski. So anyway, moving on. Baseball show, not a Baltimore weather show. Uh, Orioles made a small signing over the past week. Uh, they signed Fernando Abad to a minor league deal. It was exceptional. For Oakland in 2014, had like a 157 ERA in 68 games. Owns a 367 career ERA. This is a minor league signing, Zach. But uh, is this somebody that we could see as depth uh, in the organization and maybe a legitimate arm out of the bullpen in 2021? Yeah, I heard they were interested in 2019 as well, and that that didn't really come to anything. And um, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting signing. I'm not sure he's going to really have too much of a role because there is going to be a lot of competition in spring training, and I'm sure the Orioles would prefer to go with someone who's a little bit younger, you know, maybe the Rule 5 picks over a guy like Fernando Abad, but if you can get a guy like this who's had a great track record, and you can get him for as cheap as it is on a minor league signing, and I don't really see a problem with that. It's kind of low-risk, high-reward. I mean, you really never know what you're going to get, and he wasn't that bad in 2019. He was 0-2 with a 4-15 ERA in 21 games. That's not awful. I'm sure the Orioles would take that. They had a top 10 bullpen last year. A lot of people don't know that, but they did. And I think Fernando Obad could find a spot in that. He's not incredible anymore. He's, you know, getting up there in age. So he's going to start slowing down a little bit. But I think this is a solid signing, and I have really no problem with it. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
getting up there in age. He's still younger than me. Yeah, Good well, sir. Baseball age. Yeah, know, it's, know, it's, it's relative. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a good depth move. Um, he's had some success. He's had, again, a, a career ERA of 367. Uh, maybe that's a little on the high side for the bullpen. I, for a bullpen arm, I want to I, I see your ERA right about three or below. But not everybody's dominant. Everybody has their place. Uh, Fernando Abad, he's not coming in here to save this team. So I'm okay with the deal. And, again, it's a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training. He has an opportunity to compete for a job. And if nothing else, give them bullpen depth at the minor leagues. Because you know that the roster that we see on opening day is never the roster that we see a week, two weeks, three months later. So there's going to be plenty of room for pitches to go up and down. And he could be on that shuttle all year for the Orioles. Unless he pitches so well that he, they just keep him in the bullpen. So uh, we're going to have Al Paulowski on the program at 1135. He is the Emmy Award-winning host of Indians Live, um, which is an Indians pregame and postgame show out in Cleveland. And we felt it was fitting to have somebody around the Cleveland Indians baseball program um, to talk about the fact that they're changing their team name. You know, and it's they're changing it in 2022. So they make the announcement at the end of 2020 that they're changing the team name because it's insensitive and it's 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 causes racial issues these days. We saw the Washington football team change from the Redskins to the Washington football team. I played the entire 2020 season without a new name. Cleveland doesn't want to do that, uh, so they're going to play in 2021 with the same name. They've already gotten rid of the Chief Wahoo icon. The uh, on the hats, on the sleeves, on everything. Why not just change the name now? Why not be called the Cleveland Baseball Club or the Cleveland Spiders or something else? I know you don't want to decide on a new name, but if if you're going, if you are getting rid of the the Indians name, and you understand the insensitivity that comes with that name, then why wouldn't you just change it now? Just drop it. Go by the Cleveland Baseball Club or the the, the Cleveland Natives or I don't understand playing 2021 with the name if you're going to change it for the reasons that you're changing it. Yeah, it seems a little weird to me. I, I think this was kind of a foregone conclusion. They would eventually change it, especially after Washington did. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, and I think we were all expecting it at this point. But, yeah, I don't really know why you're going to play the whole 2021 season with the name Indians. You could just go by you know, Cleveland baseball team, like you said, maybe one of the issues is a marketing issue. They have to change, you know, all the stuff in the stadium and then they have to get all the new merchandise and apparel in. And that's going to cost them all a lot of money. And I'm sure they'd love to sell all the stuff they already have. So maybe that plays a part in it. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are going to fight back against this. Unfortunately, of course, you're always going to have that. And maybe that's why they did it, and they just want to take a little bit of time to figure out what the name is going to be and make it the best name possible. I mean, Washington football team is a terrible name. They should you know, change it to something that is actually a real name and not football team. So maybe Cleveland didn't want to go with baseball, baseball team either. So maybe that's another reason for it, and they just really want to put a lot of thought into this. But I'm not sure. Maybe Al will have a little bit more on it. Yeah, look, there's more that goes into it than simply just dropping the name. Uh, so, and I get that. I, I understand it. Look, the Washington football team has had their best season in eight years. Yep. To th- this season, you know they're they're, they're what six and seven now. They're, yeah, they're, they're they're in first place. Yeah, they're they're in first place. Um, Giants are reeling. So the Washington Football Team they're they're, they're having their uh, 
their best season since 2012 when RG3, now a Raven, was the offensive rookie of the year uh, in the NFL. Uh, so, not that they, that, not that there's any kind of correlation, but it worked for them, you know. But anyway, Indians, uh, the Cleveland Indians. I, I've tried not to say Indians all year. If you've heard me do when I would do the bat around around the league um, during the season and give the out of town scores, I would always just refer to them as Cleveland uh, because I'm trying not to be insensitive, you know. And and it, it's hard. It's hard to toe the line with all the stuff that goes on in, in our country these days. So sometimes you slip up. Right now I'm saying Indians because that's the name that they're dropping, and that's it, it's prevalent right now. So I don't know. It's it's something that, that I'm glad it's happening. I just, I, I'm just i interested to talk to Al to see, if, uh, to see if there's any names that he's heard floated around and to see if this is something that everybody else feels maybe they should drop the name for 2021 too. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Another thing that we have to talk about, I'm not going to steal your thunder today because this is your sounding off segment, but uh, Major League Baseball is now recognizing the Negro Leagues uh, from 1920 to 19, is it 20 or 23? Uh, I believe it's 20, but I can yeah, check n- on that. 1920 to 1948 as official Major League Baseball. So they're going to go back in there and they're going to figure out the new statistics, the new leaders, Interested to see what records are going to change. Does this mean that Josh, Josh Gibson's 441 batting average is now going to be the benchmark instead of Ted Williams' 406 in 1941? Um, Josh Gibson, if you go and you look at his baseball reference page, it says he only has like 111 career home runs, but it's well known that he hit probably 800 to 1,000 home runs. Uh, is he going to be the all-time home run king? Probably not because they don't have an official record of these home runs, but we heard we heard about this guy hitting 600 foot moonshots. Um, interest. So I'm just going to be interested to see how this impacts the record books moving forward. They still have a lot of work to do with that. Uh, now, Trey Mancini. We are a press box program, and Trey Mancini is the Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. He's on the cover of our new print edition. Um, this is a, this is a this is a, a big honor for Trey Mancini, and and. He's more than deserving. Uh, he was the, the fa- he's the face of the franchise. You know, coming off a season in in 2019 where he hit 291, he hit 35 homers, 38 doubles, drove in 97. This is a cornerstone player for your franchise. And as good as the offense was for the Orioles in 2020 with Trey Mancini, they would have been that much better. They would have been that much better. And they, they missed, even just a 60-game season, they missed his production in the lineup. More so than anything else, they missed the man. The, Trey Mancini's a pillar in this community. He's, a, he's, for all intents and purposes, a great, solid human being. Zach, what does Trey mean in your eyes to this team? What does he do? What realistic production can we expect from him? And how does he impact Ryan Mountcastle and Anthony Santander from a production standpoint? Well, I think Trey kind of carries the the value to the community that Adam Jones did when he was here. And, you know, he's just a great guy, like you said. He's always friendly to the fans, and he's always helping out somewhere in the community. And then, you know, that's all alongside this great baseball career he's putting together. I mean, this is a guy who was an eighth-round pick. You know, eighth-round picks are never the highest-rated uh, prospects, but he found himself, you know, the, the fifth-ranked prospect in the Orioles system at the time when he came up. So he's really put together a great career, and then he's done a lot of good things in the community, as you said. He did a lot with Mo Gabba, of course, which is, you know, awesome, and um, now the sports person of the year. So he's very important to the Baltimore community, and, you know, I, I think that's why Mike Elias wants to keep him around, and he's, of course, 
an important offensive cog in the lineup. He's fantastic. And Brandon Hyde said, look, we got 25 wins this year. If we had Trey Mancini, who knows how many that could have been. I mean, there's so many hits that Trey Mancini gets in, in certain uh, times you need them and, and how reliable he is as a player. It's all you know so great for the Orioles. Um, as far as production we can expect out of him, I think we'll know a little more once we see spring training and see how he looks and see how healthy he is because he claims he's 100% healthy, and I, I believe him totally. I think he is, and I'm sure he's working extremely hard to come back, but it's a really hard thing to come back from when we haven't played baseball in a whole year. So, you know, he's going to have to regain the strength and the swing, but I expect Trey Mancini to come out there, especially the second half of the season. I expect him to look just like Trey Mancini. Yeah, I I, I, I would tend to agree with you. He's... It, you have no choice but to take the man at his word. And what he's said over the last two months is he's been swinging, he's been working out five days a week, he feels as strong as ever, and he's ready to go. He said he'd be ready for spring training if it started today. So I'm really excited to see if you're going to have Ryan Mountcastle batting fifth and you're going to have Anthony Santander batting third and then Mancini sandwiched right between them in the cleanup spot, th- that's... Like, like, look, we, we talked about having uh, Al Pawlowski on the program. That's better than any lineup the Indians are going to put out. You know, now the and, Indians, and a lot of teams and, that and, will put and, out. And, and a lot of teams. The Indians, now look, they, they've made the playoffs five out of eight years. They were on pace for their fifth straight 90-win season had they played a full season this year. So they're, they're a good baseball team, but right now they're all pitching. Th- th- that lineup, if you put the Orioles lineup with Trey Mancini in it in Cleveland, that team wins the division. In my opinion, with, with with that pitching, that doesn't mean that the Orioles lineup is, you know, a world beater. But they're getting a lot better. They're getting a lot better, and Trey Mancini only adds to that. It's a big deal that he's going to be back, uh, hopefully at full strength. I'm just super excited to see what he means for the production of Mount Castle and Santander. Now, look, the Orioles they can score as many runs as they want, but if they don't have the pitching. You're not if you're giving up eight. If you're scoring seven runs a game, you're giving up eight. You're not going to win many ball games. And with that in mind, the Orioles do need starting pitching this off season. There's names out there um, who have had s- serious success in the past, like Colin McHugh, uh, Felix Hernandez, Corey Kluber, amongst others. Uh, Cole Hamels, for example. Um, who would you like to see? in the orange and black in 2021. I don't know that it's going to be any of these names. Yeah, I don't think it will be any of these guys. I know I've seen a lot of fans already saying they want Corey Kluber, but it's not happening. We know the Orioles aren't going to spend money. That's just kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. They are not going to spend, you know, the $5 million, the $6 million per year to get one of these guys. Um, you know, Felix Hernandez is the guy I maybe could see. He's a little bit on the older side baseball-wise, and he's kind of at the end of his career. I don't think after not pitching in 2020, I'm not sure he would really have a ton of interest around the league and, and would ask for a bunch of money to maybe Felix Hernandez. But if I'm the Orioles, I'm just looking in the same lines of Tommy Malone and Wade LeBlanc that they got last year and these cheap signings that you can possibly deal at the deadline because the Orioles made two deals that were able to, you know, with with minor league signings that were able to get them back prospects, which is always a good thing, you know, no matter who it is. So if you can make a minor league signing that's cheap and, you know, ends up being a high reward signing, that's always a good thing. So I, I think I want to see more of that. And I'm not sure of the names that are out there as far as the minor league signing goes, but uh, more more guys like Fernando Abad. That That's the kind of guys who make sense for the Orioles right now. Not a three to $5 million guy a year. Well, Colin McHugh would be a good option because he signed just prior to the spring training shutdown last year with the Red Sox for 600000 
That's a guy the Orioles Definitely side. doable. That, that's a guy the Orioles side. Now, I'm glad you said that the Orioles aren't going to spend that kind of money. They're going to go on the cheap side because Orioles fans have been calling the Orioles cheap. I heard Bob Haney call them cheap on the radio the other day, and this stems from letting players like Hanser Alberto and Renato Nunez go and trading away a guy like Iglesias. Fans need to understand that players like Alberto, Nunez, and Iglesias, they don't factor into this rebuild. Now, Nunez... Nunez isn't here because of the money. It isn't here not because of the money that he's going to cost, but because he's, he's not a fit. He's just not that good he, either. He, the, the guy hits 240, will hit 25 to 35 home runs, but can't play defense. He's a one-trick pony, and he's not that great. That, that one trick he has isn't that great when he does it all in the first week of a month and then is terrible for the next three weeks. Uh, Hanser Alberto is... He's not a two and a half million dollar a year player at this point. Yeah, he can, he can he can. I'm not even gonna say mash left handed pitching. He just hits left handed pitching. This isn't a masher. This is a guy who's gonna hit twenty, maybe thirty doubles, maybe ten home runs in a season, and that's with the um, the juiced up baseball. Like, and he's, his defense isn't good. I'd rather have Ryland Bannon get a shot and prove that he can be a better all-around hitter or Yomar Sanchez play second base and be the gold-glove defender that we need behind that pitching staff than have these guys. And the, Look, the Orioles aren't being cheap. They're doing what any smart rebuilding ball club does, and that's, hey, we have somebody else that can play this position for you as a stopgap who's going to be cheaper, and then we can allocate that money someplace else to help this rebuild along. Keeping guys like Hanser Alberto and Renato Nunez is not... That's not how you win baseball games in the future. That's how you win maybe two extra games this year. And Jose Iglesias, look, everybody was upset that he got traded. I, I still would have rather they kept him because you don't know what Garrett Stallings is going to turn into or Gene Pinto. You don't, you don't know. But you knew that Jose Iglesias was going to be a good stopgap player until Gunnar Henderson's here or Jordan Westberg or Anthony Cervadeo. Uh, these these – and Iglesias helps the rebuild. Uh, look, look, again, I just said that you don't know what you're going to get, but if you get anything out of Garrett Sellings, trading Iglesias is already helping the rebuild, maybe more than it would have if he was here. So the Orioles aren't being cheap. They're just not in a, at a place yet in this rebuild where spending a ton of money, even 2 to $3 million on where, where it makes sense. Yeah, this has been the plan for a while now, and I don't think anything's changed. Michael Elias laid it out in 2018. I said this in a sounding off a few weeks ago, but he laid out the plan, and he said, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to focus on talent acquisition, and that's all we're going to do. And it, it's it, these guys like Alberto and Nunez and, and Iglesias, they're all bridge players. They're not going to be here on the Orioles World Series team, and nobody should ever think they would have been. So for the Orioles to let go of them now is just different than them letting go of them after this season or next season or whenever it would be. They're going to let go of them at some point, all mm -hmm. of these players. But they're, they're just bridge players, and they're not that important. And, you know, as much as you may have liked them, they're really not that important for the Orioles' rebuild and for the Orioles, you know, as, as they go in, in 2021. They just don't really mean that much to them. And the Orioles are, like you said, being smart, not cheap. They're being smart, and they're following the plan, and they're not diverging from that. And I think that's a good thing. Well, yeah, and then... Jose Iglesias, his value was not going to be higher than it is at this exact moment. Coming off a, th a season in which he hit 370. Which he's never going to do which again. Which he's never going to do again. Uh, and, uh, he's, he'll hit better. You can tell by his bat track and the way that he makes contact. He's, he might hit around 300 
for the Angels, 280 to 300. But he's not going to hit 370. He barely played defense last year. And look, I'm not trying to justify this trade. What I'm saying is whether they traded him now or at the deadline, they probably got more for him now than they were going to get for him at the deadline. And then Renato Nunez, you lose him now, you lose him later. That's a guy who, if he's in your lineup, who's not in your lineup? Because now you have to you have to play Santander every day. You have to play Hayes every day. Uh, Mountcastle, you have to play uh, uh, Trey, uh, Trey Mancini. Uh, and then you have to see if the eight home runs that DJ Stewart hit in a week, if that translates. You know what I mean? You, you have to see that. And having a guy like Renato Nunez doesn't allow you to see that. Now, look, before we get to your segment, we're running a little long here in the introduction to the show. Uh, rest of the show, we have Stan the Fan coming up in a matter of moments. Uh, 1020. It's a little after 1020 right now. Uh, Glenn Clark from Pressbox's own Glenn Clark Radio. He, he broadcasts Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. in this very studio in Zach's chair, actually. Uh, he'll be on at 1050 to talk about the Orioles. 1120. We're going to do some Orioles banter. We're going to continue our series here. Five best relief seasons in team history. Joe Trezza, uh, after we did our five best pitching seasons, put out his top five pitching seasons by a starting pitcher. A lot of similarities. I didn't have Hoyt Wilhelm. He he did. Actually, I think uh, he had Jim Palmer's 1975 season at number one. He had, um, I think, Hoyt Wilhelm second. And he had, wow. And he, what was it, Mike Cuellar in 1968? Uh, no, 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 no. It was uh, Steve McNally. McNally, yeah, that, in, that was 19, our number one. In 1968, who was our number one, he had him at number three. Uh, but So we're going to do our five best relief seasons, hopefully ahead of Joe Trezis, um, at 11.20. And then 11.35, Al Pawlowski, Emmy Award-winning host of Indians Live for Sports Time in Ohio, uh, joins us to talk about the Cleveland Indians, them dropping the team name, why they're keeping it in 2022, and then just the rest of the, the Cleveland baseball program as a whole. But now... Better late than never. Uh, we have Zach Goodman sounding off about the Negro Leagues. Yeah, so I have a, uh, more of a positive sounding off this week. Usually I do it on something I'm annoyed about or was negative in the, in the last week. But this one is positive because MLB has finally decided to recognize the Negro Leagues as a part of the major leagues and all of the stats from 1920 to 1948. So it's going to be kind of interesting, as Paul talked about, to see how these teams are going to incorporate all the stats into everyone's history. It's going to be interesting to see how you know players like Josh Gibson and Jackie Robinson and Satchel Paige are all recognized. But that's the thing that I think is the best about all of this, is that we're actually recognizing guys who really worked hard and played hard. We're recognizing their accomplishments for the first time. And there's been movies made about a lot of them, and there's been books written about a lot of them, but their stats have never really been counted or been in the limelight. And, and that's partly because these games... Were, were horribly structured, and nobody really counted the stats as, as well in these leagues because nobody really cared, unfortunately. And, you know, the, proving any of these records is going to be very difficult, but finally we're able to recognize a lot of these guys for these accomplishments that are incredible. Josh Gibson, it's rumored that he hit 900 home runs. That is an incredible accomplishment. I don't know if he'll become baseball's king, but uh, home run king, but it's certainly an incredible accomplishment. Either way, Satchel Page, one of the best pitchers of the time, and finally going to be recognized for what he did in the uh, in the Negro League. So it's just a thing that should have happened a long time ago, and MLB called it correcting an oversight. So absolutely should have been you know done 20, 30 years ago, but finally being done now, and it's great. Well, and if you ask a number of people in baseball who the greatest player of all time is, a lot of them will say Babe Ruth. It's always Babe Ruth is but the answer. 
a lot of them will also say, well, you can't say Babe Ruth because he didn't play against the stars of the Negro Leagues. And it, it's arguable that Josh Gibson's the greatest player that ever lived. And Babe Ruth didn't have to face those, that pitching. And Josh Gibson didn't get his opportunity in Major League Baseball. It's nice that they're writing a wrong now. Yep. Um, I don't know. I don't... I'm trying to say this delicately because I, I saw an article where they said too little, too late, basically, about this. I don't know how much it means to the African-American community to have this because they should have been equal all along. And uh, some people think that this is just, you know, w- w- like, what does this mean? Th- w- this Does this actually right or wrong? It, it's taken probably too long. Like I said, I mean, 20, 30, 50 years ago they could have done this. I mean, it's been, you know, since 1948, so... I'm not really sure why they didn't do this a long time ago, but it's just a good thing they did it now. I mean, it's 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 a long time coming. Uh, on the line now, uh, we have Stan, the fan, Charles, and Stan. You were around at the at the very beginnings of the Negro League, about 1920. You were you were around back then, right? I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> not that old. Uh, uh, Zach said it. Zach said it pretty good there. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's right. It's writing a wrong. It's way too late. Let's not forget. They didn't. President Johnson didn't sign the Voting Rights Bill until 1964. Um, yeah. So to think that we would have treated, you know, uh, our race relations in this country are a uh, black eye in every single way. So it's not surprising that you know we're talking about trying to right another wrong here. You know. So you. Uh, you're in agreement that this this is a good thing, and these are players that are more than deserving. It's a, ter- it's a terrific thing. Uh, it's something that I had, uh, you know, I, I probably talked about this on my on my radio shows back in the '80s, but I don't even know that I went far enough back then uh, projecting what should have happened. You know, uh, Zach made. Zach made all the right points, you know. Oh yeah, it was it, it, it was certainly a great great segment, uh, something that was more than deserving, more than a long time coming. So we're we're glad to see the recognition and making things equal here. Um, moving on now, Trey Mancini, Pre- Press Box's Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, graces to cover the latest print edition. Stan, talk a little bit about what went into that decision and what Trey Mancini means not only to this ball club but to this community. Well, it, you know, it was a year that that was very shy on on really being able to honor somebody for their accomplishments on the field. Not that there not that there wasn't anybody that you could point to, uh, you know, locally in the state of Maryland. But uh, you know, Trey exemplified in in how he handled uh, his cancer diagnosis and the fight afterwards. He handled it with uh, you know amazing grace and uh, became a little bit of a spiritual leader on this team, even though he didn't play uh, in the field all season long. I think, you know, it it was kind of a no-brainer uh, for, for us as an editorial group, and I'm talking about myself, Glenn Clark, Luke Jackson, our editor, and Jen Nelson. Uh, it's not a group of 20 people. It's a group of four people that kind of make these decisions. The The larger thing... Uh, that we decided to do this year uh, was um, was change the name or, or add to the name of the sports person of the year, Mo Gabba's name, and I think uh, it speaks to the fact that we uh, what a special 
uh, young person Mo was, what he stood for, how he made others feel, uh, and um, and the fact that we don't want to forget him. We want to hold that that notion of what he was and what he stood for uh, very near and dear to our heart. So uh, we, we collectively agreed that that would be a good gesture from Press Box. You know, Mo won the award. He, he kind of co-won the award last year with Lamar Jackson. Uh, we had we kind of decided that Mo was who we were going to give the award to in 2019-20. Um, and then, and then we we sort of said, as the we we even talked about it in our editorial discussions that uh, you know if Lamar Jackson started to have an incredible season, he would be the sports person of the year of field personnel, and Mo would be for all these other reasons. And it didn't take us very long into the 1920. A football season to see that Lamar Jackson was going to do something special, and after the Ravens were two and two after the first four games, Lamar won the next twelve, uh, you know, uh, regular season games in a row. So we co we we gave them the the award uh, as as co winners last year, and uh, as luck would have it, we had one picture uh, that uh, we had gotten, um, you know, when when Mo visited Ravens training camp and got to meet uh, Lamar Jackson. And that adorned our cover. This year, we were fortunate enough, we worked with an illustrator named John Panisi, who did just a sensational job on creating the Trey Mancini illustration. Oh, yeah, he, he did a great job. And, and Stan, trust me, it did not fall on deaf ears or blind eyes that you na- that you changed it to the Mo Gavis Sports Person of the Year Award. Yeah. Definitely a very honorable uh, thing to do and an honor for anybody that wins it, including uh, Trey Mancini, who graces the cover uh, this, and that was, this year. And that, Paul, not to interrupt you, that was what one of the great ironies, uh, you know, delicious irony, if you want to call it that, that Trey Mancini was such a good friend of Mo's over the last three years that he he um, he really touched all the right chords in discussing that, how much it meant to him to win the award in light of the fact that it was named after Mo, you know. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it was it was just it was something, you know, we we it was something very special we were able to do, and we were happy to do it. Well, certainly a fitting name for the award, a fitting recipient. Now, uh, in your work for Press Box Stand last year, you wrote about Kendall Graveman, Felix Hernandez, Stephen Vogt, and uh, Jose Iglesias as targets for the Orioles. Uh, this season, you have an article that's coming out on Monday uh, about yep. Ahire Adrianza, who's a switch hitter, who has a solid glove at shortstop, and Felix Hernandez yet again, and Colin McHugh as potential targets uh, for the Orioles. Again, that article will be out on Monday. Talk to us a little bit about these guys and why you've targeted them for the Orioles. Well, i I got to say, first of all, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Iglesias trade. You know, I'm, I'm all for adding young, inexpensive talent to the organization, but I would have been, as I talked about it a couple months ago, I would have been... I think shortstop is such an important position mm-hmm. that I would have been more inclined to have ripped up Iglesias's contract. And again, I always couch everything I say, understanding that the Orioles have some fiscal limitations, you know, that are pretty severe right now. 
um, and and for good for and partly for good reason. You don't want to pay. You you wouldn't want to go out and sign uh, Marcus Simeon to a forty million dollar four year contract right now, or forty eight million dollars. The club is not that close to to where he would make that much of a difference. But for somebody who was making three million, and you might have been able to sort of tear that up and say, hey, let's give you a two year contract for eight million dollars. You know, and we'll pay you four this year and four next year. You might have been able to do that. So I was really not in favor of that trade. But now that it's been done and they need a shortstop, you realize that they're not going to go out and get D.D. Gregorius or Andrewton Simmons or the aforementioned um, Marcus Simeon. So who was left after that? And you start looking at you know names like Addison Russell, Freddie Galvez, and I think I think the right guy for them seriously because they that's the one one position. Uh, that the Orioles don't have an abundance of that readily sh- shout out, boy, we've got the shortstop for the next 10 years for the Orioles. Uh, that's that's right around the corner. Uh, we probably think it's going to be Gunnar Henderson. Right. But, um, but, you know, that's probably on a fast track three years, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so, so they need somebody, and then they're not going to spend a lot of money. So the names that I mentioned are going to be mentioned. You're going to hear Adani Echevarria, who's a terrific fielder, but is going to be on base about 275. That's his on-base percentage. Uh, now, Hiri Adrianza isn't a guy that's going to, uh, uh, you know, suddenly uh, pop up and be 340. He's about a 305 on-base percentage. But he's not the dead out that uh, Echevarria is. And I've done my homework, talked to a couple of scouts who both say that he's a plus defender. He is a switch hitter. I uh, was warned that he's not the guy that you want to play 162 games if you're having a 162-game season. But in a 110, 115-game season, he could probably start for you 75 or 80 times, which sounds like to me the, the perfect guy to kind of give you another glimpse at either Richie Martin or play Pat Vileka or maybe Taryn Vavra, who we got in the uh, Gibbons deal, is really, really good in spring training or early in a minor league season, and he comes up and plays a few games. But um, Adrianza is a guy that I think you could get on a one-year deal for about a million two, million four, uh, which gives you some money to go out and then maybe spin one of these pitchers that I'm talking about, who I think you could get for both both Hernandez or McHugh. And I'm not suggesting the Orioles are going to get both of them. But I think one of them would cost you about 800 to a $1 million, 800000 to a $1 million. Colin McHugh is not that far removed from a three-year run in the Astros uniform where he was 50 and 28 as a starting pitcher, and he had a remarkable season in 2018 or 19 as a relief pitcher. I think it was nine. It was 18, uh, where he was five five and two or six and two with like a 1.9 earned run average and a 0.9 um, WHIP over 58 appearances, 72 innings, uh, struck out like 105 batters. 
uh, Colin McHugh also, I'm guessing, probably has rubbed elbows with Chris Holt, the Orioles pitching instructor, uh, pitching coach who was in the Astros organization. So you'd like to think that maybe they've worked together. King Felix is a great potential Hall of Fame candidate, um, but he's he's come upon some hard times over the last three or four years, which, in my opinion, are born out of probably stubbornness and how great he was and not being willing to change the type of pitcher he was uh, to really have to use the craft of pitching rather than his overwhelming power that he once had. But he went to Atlanta's uh, spring training last year, was pitching very well there when the uh, pandemic uh, came out. And with what he was going to make, you know, a million dollars, he decided to opt out. And we never saw whether he was going to lend anything to the Braves or not. Braves chose to go in a different direction this year, signing Charlie Morton. Uh, but remember last year they had signed a high-priced guy, too. They had signed Cole Hamels for $18 million. This year they signed Charlie Morton for $15 million. But they, they really don't see a need for Felix Hernandez. They think they're really close enough that they don't need to take that kind of gamble. To me, McHugh and Hernandez, what they also bring you is something that Mike Elias likes to use, which is a, which is the potential for enough of an upside with one or one of them that you you know come mid June uh, if that player is pitching as well as I think he would be uh, you could turn it into a, a nice bonanza in terms of a trade a trade chip. Yeah, so Stan, as far as starting pitching goes, what kind of profile are the Orioles looking for? Are they looking for a guy who's more seasoned and who's a veteran, you know, a Hall of Fame candidate, obviously like Felix Hernandez, or do you think they're looking for a guy who can kind of rebuild his career and turn around things, a guy like Julio Teheran or Chris Archer, um, someone along those lines? The difference difference between what those pitchers would command, you'd have to think, that Tehran is going to command a three, four million dollar contract. Yeah, it's something in that and, range. Yeah, in that range. I don't see, you know, the Orioles, and we can get into this about again about losing Gray Fenter and Zach Pop, but they, they, they made their plans. And listen, this is this is fair game discussion for organizations that we lost two really good pitching prospects there that have questions, you know because of their health and all that. But they went out and cleared room to pick up two new pitchers that have the same questions that Zach Pop and Gray Fenner have. You know, I mean, Tyler Wells might be might be a phenomenal prospect. He might be because he's 6'8". Who knows, he could be a, a Tyler Glass now type, type of pitcher. But he doesn't profile as a guy who's really going to be uh, you know, but he's going to make $575,000 this year. So the Orioles are shopping on the lower end of things uh, financially, and that's as big a commodity, that, uh, that's as big a, a uh, as big an uh, important point for them right now as the fiscal area, as opposed to going out and trying to sign somebody who has a higher profile. Well, Stan, and you and I talked a little bit about this last night. Uh, Gray Fenter, Zach Pop. Uh, Gray Fenter could come back to the organization. I don't think we are ever going to see Zach Pop pitch for the Orioles. I think the Marlins are going to hang on to him. 
Um, I, th- I, I think we're going to have a hard time getting either either one of these guys back. And, you know, look, I, they're the only two people. I, ca- I can't say I have a, an encyclopedic knowledge of the Oriole, uh, you know, uh, prospect list. But those were the two main, two main names I mentioned. They were the only two names that really struck me as guys that I was worried about losing. And what bothers me is that the club ended up, you know, clearing room to pick up Wells and Scroll. How do you pronounce uh, Ben McDonald's nephew, Scroller? Scroller. 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 Okay, Scroller. So they they made room for those two guys by you know the fact that they didn't tender Hanser Alberto contract and they didn't um, um, they didn't end up keeping Austin wins and you know I just question that the wisdom with that especially with Zach Pop well yeah. and do I they really think he was a great I think he was a great prospect and oftentimes. And this is in any sport or also in organizations. You know, when a new regime comes in, they don't have a great deal of respect for certain players that a previous regime uh, did. I remember when Sid Thrift became general manager of the Orioles. Now, he was not directly following Pat Gillick. But Pat Gillick had, had drafted Jason Worth a couple of years before, and I think Sid Thrift traded Jason Worth about the first or second week he was general manager of the Orioles and got a very scant return. And Jason Worth went on to having a not a Hall of Fame career, a very, but a no very way. solid career, uh, and and a, would have been a player that would have been very useful for the Orioles from 2012 to 2016 at least you know and even further back than that well what you're uh, saying there kind of reminds me of chris davis's comments that he made before we during during the virtual zoom meetings and he said a he said the orals knew what they were signing up for when they signed him we'll get to that in a second but the other comment he made was he wasn't sure of the direction of this rebuild and he said to the orioles want to get rid of the want to get rid of all the guys that were here before them um before the new regime and just have their own guys. And do you think that that is something that maybe this 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 front office is doing so that their team is made up of all guys that they acquired with a few guys sprinkled in? I don't I don't think they're they're blind to um I don't think they're blind to to keeping players that they feel I just you know, it's it's almost like I've I've criticized the Ravens. I I love Eric DaCosta. But I think Eric DaCosta has a sort of snobbish opinion of the University of Maryland, okay? That mm-hmm. they don't have any players, you know, even their best player can't compete with the 20th guy down in the Southeast Conference, okay? I mean, the fact that Stephen Diggs was in this marketplace, you know, playing for the University of Maryland, and he didn't warrant being picked in the first four rounds, went to the Minnesota Vikings in the fifth round. The fact that they went out and got Hunter Hurst uh, rather than take D.J. Moore, um, you know, those are that's, that's sort of the, the kind of thing it is to me, that there's sort of a snobbish thing that we know better who's, who's a better talent than the previous regime. So, um, 
Now, getting back to the Chris Davis story, you know, it's interesting. I at first read it exactly like you're talking about, where Chris said they knew what they were signing up for. Now, I took it to mean that the Orioles knew what they were signing up for in signing Chris Davis to a seven-year contract. Luke Jackson, who's our managing editor at Press Box, read it a different way, and I think he read it the correct way. He's talking about Mike Elias and Sig Maydell knew what they were signing on for. That's, that's what John Mioli said talking to us. About. That's, what, what, that's what John Mioli said to us last week when we had him on. He said that what Davis meant by that was that the new regime knew what they were signing up for when they took yep. the job here. Yeah, and, and, and i got to be honest with you, that's a, a, that's a, a terrible thing to, to really say, you know. I think Chris has run out of excuses. Uh, he's run out of new things he's going to work on. Uh, it was very interesting to see that Mike Bordick came out. Mike is not a, a critical guy by any means, but he is the second player uh, that's worn an Oriole uniform with some distinction to come out and call Chris Chris out on his work ethic. Yeah, you know, he and Jim Palmer. Um, and and really, at, that's the real crime of this, is that he somehow hasn't seen fit. When, when I got to spring training last year and, and, and heard tell that Davis was having a pretty good spring, and I said, well, what did he work on? And you go around and you talk to John Miola, you talk to Rock, you talk to Dubroff, you know, those are the main guys down there, and you talk to the broadcast. They say, well, he, he, uh, he's put on 25 pounds of muscle. He felt that he was too weak. And I'm saying to myself, the, the problem I witnessed with Chris Davis didn't appear that he didn't have any strength left. It was that his head was so screwed up as a, as a player. His confidence level was so low that putting 25 pounds on wasn't going to do anything. Yeah, no, so I it, agree. It made for it made for a good story for three, four weeks last spring until it got shut down. But then, you know, he still had that twenty, twenty-five pounds on when this when they started playing games, and he's still a sub two hundred hitter who shows no power any longer. Uh, and it's it's a shame that the organization can't can't kind of move on from him in a more clear cut way. It'll be interesting again to see how many games they're going to play this year, and uh, it, it could be so embarrassing this year with Chris that you know that maybe after the, the, the season is pared down to 110 games, and maybe when the season starts and we get through 30 of them or 40 of them, that the club will make its break with him. But uh, you know, he's never going to be a meaningful Baltimore Oriole again. Well. Know? And that brings me to my final question for you, Stan. You've been kind of outspoken about the fact that there's no way that they're going to play a 162-game season. Well, now that the vaccine uh, has come out, and look, they still have a long ways to go with this vaccine, but the Major League Baseball Players Association is pushing for spring training to start on time, for, the, for opening day to start on time. Do you still stand by that stance, or are you kind of backing off of them and saying, you know what, maybe we do get a full season in? There's, there's no way they're going to get a full season. We're, um, uh, and it's ironic you're telling, you're asking me this as the last question today. Luke Jackson, our editor, who I give a lot of credit to, is a smart guy. 
he just texted me right before we went on the air a quote from Peter Gammons. Let me see. Give me one second to see if I can pull it up oh, without sure, disconnecting sure. this call. Hold on one second. Sure. It is, uh, there it is. Okay. Hold on. Okay. The exact, the exact quote is if MLB and the MLBPA sent Jim Jordan, the congressman from Ohio, and AOC, uh, Ms. Cortez, to the negotiation table could not get less productive. How in the names of Gussie Bush and Steve Carlton could they be 13 days from 2021 and still under a mountain of grievances and disagreements over service time? This is... Um, this got a chance to be more dangerous to the game of baseball than last year, and we all know that was pretty ugly. Because what you have is you have one side has a financial model for the 2021 season that's not by any way, shape, or form prepared fiscally to spend the money it takes to put the game on for 162 games in terms of player compensation because of uncertainties surrounding how how many fans they're going to have and how many games they can really get you know get underway and what you see is a, a slow ball negotiation stance by MLB and you see a very unrealistic uh, view of the world right now by the MLBPA this is going to be this this going to make uh, the negotiations of last you know spring and early summer uh, look like uh, a walk in the park. Uh, I, I'm even more pessimistic now that they'll get to the hundred game mark. I think you could see like 80 games or something like that. Yeah, and you're going to see, and you may see a lot of people taking the year off again. I'm certainly certainly nervous to see what's going to happen with that and what's going to happen with the new uh, CBA that they have to negotiate after the 2021 season. seems like nobody yeah. can get on the same page. You know, in this, what, in this what they really should be doing is taking Rob Manfred and Tony Clark out of the equation, put two new negotiators in, and and really try and crack that nut now Agreed. rather than, 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 than wait until 2021. Because I'll tell you what, yeah, everybody talks about, and I know you got to move on, but everybody talks about how damaging a strike is and all this. I'm not so sure that a strike is even more damaging than what we're witnessing, which we could potentially witness for three straight seasons, is the negotiations before a collective bargaining agreement are agreed upon. And the world isn't going to change that much, and there's a way to wrap the whole thing into a negotiation this year and try and get a new five- or eight-year agreement in place going into the 21 season. But they're not, they're not even close to that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not even close. Stan, we we got yeah. to run real quick. I know that you're, right. you're off for two weeks. Uh, is there anything yep. you want to plug here before we let you go? Nope, we're off for a couple of weeks with the uh, thing. You guys going to be on next week? No, we, we are off on the 26th of the Christmas holiday. We will be back January 2nd. Okay, and I'll be back on doing my Zooms on the 4th. So uh, it's good talking to you. I hope both of you have good holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays to you, Stan. Take care. Stay safe. Keep wearing the masks. I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Take care. That was Stan the Fan. Charles, running a little long today. Um, 
through no fault of Stan's, we just ha- we happened to run long and a lot of questions for him, and we ran long in our introductions. So, uh, Stan, the fan joining us as always, just want to remind you the Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation insurance specialist. And after all, we are in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance studio. We got to get a break when we get back from GCR Press Box's own Glenn Clark. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate it, uh, Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate it, y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Tired of virtual sports, online school, and Zoom happy hours? Then join the COVID-19 plasma trials sponsored by Johns Hopkins University. You could receive plasma that contains antibodies from recovered COVID-19 patients. So if you've just been exposed, participating in the trial could prevent you from getting it. Join the fight now at covidplasmatrial.org so we can all get back to stadium seating, school buses, and saying cheers in person. covidplasmatrial.org. The fight starts here. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations 
locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around, broadcasting to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Uh, and on the line right now, we have a man who is certainly no stranger to this studio. We have the pragmatic and irreverent Glenn Clark. Glenn, how are you today? What's going on, guys? Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. The whole, whatever, everything, all of them. Happy, what? happy December. I don't know how we do this. What, whatever you're supposed to say, right? Merry Christmas. Yeah, happy right. holidays. Uh, how are things over in Glenn Clark's world? Man, I, you know, I don't know if you saw my. I had a really weird morning, boys, and uh, I don't I don't know how much we want to talk about it, but I woke up uh, and I, I made the the mistake that I regularly do. Uh, if, if for those that disagree, you're wrong. But the motion uh, picture, catch me if you can, is the greatest motion picture of all time. And no matter how many times I've seen it, every time it's on, I'm going to watch it. So it came on at about 1 a.m. last night as I was getting ready to go to bed. And I probably ended up being awake until 2.30 because of it. So I, I woke up a little bit late this morning. And I woke up, and like I, I, I couldn't believe what was happening in front of me. Both of my sons were wrestling right on top of my face, and for some reason they were naked. So that was cool. <laughs> oh, and then on top of that, my new dog, uh, we rescued another dog over the summer, and she was licking me. And like that's not all that weird. That's the thing that a dog does. But she was licking me, and I like you know at first you're like sort of ignoring what's going on because you're you're kind of not fully awake. You're just sort of you know like trying to wake yourself up. She proceeded to lick me for I'm not kidding, 15 minutes straight as if I was her puppy and she was giving me a bath. <laughs> and I gotta be honest, the entirety of this was really weird and something that's never happened to me before since college. So I'm just saying <laughs> it's been a weird day. I'll, I'll tell you, man. We 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 have a cat. Uh, we have two cats, but one, Lena, the cutest thing in the world, but she she licks incessantly. And it's weird. It, it's it's weird when your when your pet just like she will grab my arm with her paw, pull it towards her, and then lick my hand for as long as I let her. And my my fiance Laura, she tells me about a month ago that cats they don't view us as people; they view us as big dumb kittens. And okay. So that's that's their way of saying I love you. I want to bathe you. Is, not wrong. And that's the thing. And like that. And so you don't want to. Yeah, like it's so funny you bring it up, Paul. I don't want to be a jerk, right? Like, I don't want to, like, push her away or something like that. But at some point, I feel like it's crossed the line. Hey, enough like, enough. at some point in the process, I feel like we've gone from playful to, like, I, there is a problem here. If another human being sees what's happening here, they're going to think <laughs> I'm into some weird stuff. Like, I can't. There's got to be a line here. And this morning was the first time with the new dog. And, like, she, she's been particularly playful, and we love her. This was the first time I really felt like we were approaching a line that we couldn't and, cross. And you're just you're just uncomfortable. I and I totally get that. And a cat's tongue is like sandpaper, man. So that when they're licking you, eventually, right, like, all right. right, that that's 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 enough. And speaking of that's <laughs> enough, that's enough of the animal talk here on the bat around. Um, thanks for asking. I really appreciate oh, it. Of I course. needed to get that off my Th chest. Thanks for sharing, man. I'm glad we could be cathartic <laughs> here for you. Um, so a big deal happened uh, over this week. Uh, the Negro Leagues are now being recognized uh, mm -hmm. as Major League Baseball. This is a big deal for the sport, for the African-American community, and for baseball as a whole. Uh, what does that mean to you, Glenn? And, and talk to us a little bit about what they're doing here. So I don't know if you guys, there have been few experiences that have moved me quite like, and I, I, was, I was warned, 
Oh, gosh, whatever year it was, the Ravens played the Chiefs in the playoffs, and uh, we ended up going down to Kansas City for the weekend for some reason. Like other trips that I'd taken to Kansas City with the Ravens, we had only gone for like the, the, the day. But for some reason, that playoff game, this is the one right after Ed Reed's brother had passed away. Right. We ended up going down for, I want to say like four days, something like that, and doing our show from uh, Brian McRae's station in Kansas City, 810. And... Um, it was the first time I'd ever been to the Negro League Museum, and it hit me like, you know, you hear about the Negro Leagues growing up, and, you know, you read about them, and you, and you sort of have an understanding, but boy, it really hits you smack in the face. And I remember my, my old partner at the time, Drew Forrester, ended up uh, buying an Eli Giants hat while we were at the Negro Museum, and I sort of regretted not doing the same thing, because it was overwhelming. Like, it was... It was a really overwhelming experience, and, if, and I know right now nobody's traveling anywhere, and there's no reason that you'd be going to Kansas City, but if at any point in the future you find yourself in Kansas City, I would really encourage you. In fact, I would encourage that trip more than I would encourage a Baseball Hall of Fame trip, just because it's that important and it changes you. Um, it's, it's long overdue, right? Like, that's the first thing you say. The right. second thing, and this is when we saw the news the other morning, Kyle and I were, were, were you know, reacting to it live. I had that, like, okay, what, what's the impact we don't know about this yet? Like, whose, whose record is no longer a record because of this move? Which isn't to say, don't do it because of that. Like, I, you know, I don't think there was a Negro League player who had a 60-game hitting streak, but if they did, that's, that's fine. Recognize that, that was the talent. The part of this that we don't want to talk about from that era is that the records and the stats that existed in Major League Baseball are kind of fictitious because you weren't going up against the best players. You were right. playing, you know, some of them, but it was probably closer to mid-level competition. And that's the awkward part about this that we never want to talk about, which is that for some of the players that we recognize as the greatest players of all time, the numbers they produced are, 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 are kind of a farce because they weren't playing the greatest baseball players that they could play against. It was not fully the best competition, so it's long overdue. Um, it, it is truly a shame that it happens after the majority, you know, the overwhelming people, number of people that could have been directly impacted had passed away, um, but it's never too late to do the right thing, and so I applaud Major League Baseball for finally getting around to doing it. And I am interested, just because I haven't spent any time this week looking at it, as to, you know, for a sport that cares so deeply about numbers, is there a number that's most impacted by, you know, bringing in the records from the Negro League? Well, absolutely. And I like that you mentioned that the the numbers that that Major League Baseball holds so dear are kind of tainted because they didn't play against the best competition because we made that argument during our introduction, we were talking about how Babe Ruth is widely regarded as the greatest player of all time, but yep. he didn't play against the best competition that, because he didn't play against anybody in the Negro Leagues. And you look at Josh Gibson, uh, is his 441 batting average not going to be the benchmark uh, instead of yep. Ted Williams' 406? Uh, yep. Now, if you look at Josh Gibson, you go to baseball reference and look at his stats. He has probably 800 less home runs than he should have on that page. Uh, there's no way to know how many home runs Josh Gibson actually hit. And so, and that's the other awkward part of it, right? Like the other awkward part of it is we don't have all of the numbers. We don't have all of the statistics. And right. again, none of these things are reasons why they shouldn't have been done or shouldn't have been done even exactly. 20 to 25 to 30 or really even longer than that years ago. 
right? Like none of these things that I'm saying, it's, it, it's all things that are part of the conversation. To your point, Paul, like the, the record keeping is not the same as it was for Major League Baseball. So there's so many things we can't possibly know. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be recognizing this for what it is. This, this was Major League Baseball, period. Um, and we have to do our, our best as much as we possibly can to recognize it. Um, in particular, I wish it would have happened before Buck O'Neill passed away. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's, uh, you're, you're so right about that. And, look, you know, Babe Ruth clearly would have been uh, – Babe Ruth would have been a great baseball player no matter who he went up against. I think we all kind of know that, right? Like, we right. know that he is a prodigious power hitter. He would have been a great baseball player. But would he have been the best player of the era? I, I don't know that. Would we think of him as the greatest player of all time? Probably not. Um, but, you know, the, these are all relevant conversations. I think we can, I think we're capable of saying, hey, look, what Babe Ruth did, he was still going to be a great, this is not, we don't erase what it is that baseball players did during that era, but we give it context and we recognize that they, and they weren't up against the greatest competition. And look, we talked about a lot, that, that was something we compared to when we talked about the steroid era, like, you know, that, that not... Not all numbers are created equal, and our obsession with numbers in baseball probably is not really all that deserved, considering that not all of these numbers are created equal. Well, and that's and that's why, not to get off topic a little bit, that's why I think Mike Machina was more than deserving to be in the Hall of Fame, because what he did over the basis of his career in the middle of the steroid era can't be ignored, and it's all about the eras that you play in. So I'm I'm on the same page with you there. Now, moving on a little bit more to about to some Orioles topics here. You had me on GCR about two months ago, and we were talking about the possibility of the Orioles picking up Jose Iglesias' option. <clears throat> they end up picking up his option, and then yeah. a month later they trade him. And yeah. and yeah, you, you got a couple of pitching prospects out of it, but I really would have liked to have seen Jose Iglesias pair with Yomar Sanchez up the middle to protect right. that, that young pitching staff. What does it say about this rebuild? Um, about where the rebuild is, as opposed to where fans thought it was, and who's playing shortstop in twenty twenty one, Glenn? I mean, is it Sanchez? I mean, like it might be. You know what I mean? I, Paul, I think that this is the part that's really difficult, and and, and we've talked about this a lot. Um, when you see some progress you want to try to fast-forward things. And this was never a three-year thing. This was never a short-term type of deal. This was a five-, six-year thing that probably was pushed further back because of the nature of a season with no real development occurring. Right. And that's the other part of this that we, we kind of have to acknowledge is that we don't know what it will do, that so many important players were not getting real like competition during the course of the season with no minor leagues. I know a lot of them spent some time at Bowie, but... That is what it is. I, I don't know how far that... Nobody knows. There's, you can't talk to any expert about this because we've never seen this before. There's no basis for understanding how much a year like this might push back a plan. So I'm probably with you. I would have preferred for them to have kept Jose Iglesias. I think it helps with developing pitchers. And if we're assuming that maybe another important pitcher or two might be on the way this season, you'd like to hope that as they try to get their feet underneath them, that they have a pretty good defense behind them up the middle. And Jose Iglesias certainly helped with that. I don't know what it looks like without that. So that's, I, I, I agree that it's problematic, but... I also understand that we are still in the, and I know this is something that Michael Elias talked about, like, we're, we're not there. They were still in the collecting assets part of this. And it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for Orioles fans that you get this reminder. It is probably worse because they lost revenue during the course of the season. So, and I'm not trying to make excuses for that. Like, I, it's not my money. I'm not worried about spending it. But that's probably the reality 
for what it is that's going on, they are still in the collecting assets and getting as much as they possibly can portion of this. And, you know, I, I think there's an awkward conversation that we don't want to have about, you know, something we're going to talk about in a minute, which is Trey Mancini. Like, I, I don't know where this is going to be if Trey Mancini is, is fine and healthy to start the season and looks like Trey Mancini. I don't know what conversation we might be having come, you know, June, July when it comes to Trey. So, I... It's uncomfortable. This is really uncomfortable, and you don't want things to be this way, and you want to believe that you're getting closer, but it is certainly sort of a smack of reality as to where the Orioles believe they are and and how this process works when you do a complete rebuild the way that they're doing. Well, hey, and uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, hey, hey Glenn, it's Zach. So um, we, we were talking about before, you know, these young pitchers have to have a guy up the middle that can help them out defensively, and right. that's, that's very important. Richie Martin is one of those guys that's going to be playing a lot of shortstop, no matter if the Orioles sign a free agent or not. And you talked about numbers, you know, sometimes don't tell the whole story. Richie Martin's had some really bad analytical numbers as far as defense goes, and I'm not sure if that's something, if the Orioles are looking at that or not. But do you think that could sway the Orioles in their decision as to whether to play Richie Martin there a lot or to sign someone else to you know to help him out? I mean, it should, Zach. It should, and that's what I'm talking about. The, the best argument when you specifically about the, why the Iglesias thing would be a mistake is about the young pitchers. It's the best argument that you can make because the money's you know it's what it is. He, they were able to get a couple of potential assets for him. But the best argument to make is you've got guys that are here that you think and that are going to be here that you think are part of the plan. Whenever this comes to fruition, there are guys that you think either are or could be part of the ultimate plan that are going to be on this team this season. And in order to get the best out of them, or even if you want to make an argument about like somebody becoming a better trade asset, like even if you're talking about, say, a John Means, and you want him to be a better trade asset, that is improved by having actual Major League defenders by him, behind him. So yeah, I, I would like to hope that it's something they're considering, and I'd like to hope that they're at least thinking about the possibility of upgrading, I, it would be extraordinarily disappointing if the answer is just, nope, we're going to make it Richie Martin no matter what. Like That, that to me, smacks in, uh, into the face of what you're attempting to do as far as the pitching side of this is concerned in a rebuild. This, this guy wasn't in my notes, but I want to ask about him, and there's no great segue into it. Adley Rutschman. He had mm. uh, apparently was outstanding when he was at the alternate training site in Bowie. Had a nice, uh, did a nice job in the instructional league. Apparently, any beat writer, anybody that covers the Orioles, if you asked them two months ago, "Will we see Adley Rutschman in 2021?" They would all say to a man, "No, absolutely right. not." Now right. they're all kind of backing off of that, and they're all willing to acknowledge that we might see Adley Rutschman at some point in 2021. How good was he this summer? And <laughs> and really, does this speak to the talent that they have? That, that that people who are saying no are saying, well, we might. So I think there's a couple things there, um, Paul. And and I'll, I'll start with one. I think didn't even Mike Elias sort of allude to that the other day in an MLB Network radio interview that 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 that's how far along Adley Rutschman is. I. I, I it could be that, in part, that he looks so good in Bowie. I also get the sense that it might be how many other guys from that draft class we've already seen, and and sort of understanding that, like when you signed him, there probably had to be some sort of agreement with his agent about here's what we envision for him. When you're talking about players of that caliber, that's significant. That's part of the conversation. 
So if he doesn't fall, you know, flat, if he looks like a baseball player, we this is this is the vision that we have for when Adley Rutschman is a major leaguer. We need to make sure that you share that vision if we're going to sign and we're going to get this deal done. I think those conversations all happen. Now, clearly all of that kind of gets it's torn up a little bit when you have a season like you had this year, and that's understandable. But when you look around and you're dealing with a college player and you see some of the progress that other guys have made so far, it's kind of hard to ignore it. So, you know, if Adley Rutschman goes to the Bowie to start the season and rips the cover off the ball, I think he's going to be here. And it doesn't necessarily – it might not line up with the Orioles' plan, but it might have more to do with what his camp's plan was and them having that conversation with the Orioles when they decided to draft him and, and sign him. Um, I, th- those things – the business end of this is getting more and more significant. Like, we're not just going to sit around and wait for you if you're going to force him to stay in the minor leagues because it doesn't line up with your time frame. Draft somebody else. Um, yeah. they, they have money that they want to make, and Adley Rutschman is an asset. You can even say because he's a catcher that they might be looking at him as someone that, that maybe long-term does not have as much money to be made because of the wear and tear that happens to your body as other guys do. So... It's more important to them that they, they start the clock earlier, they get closer to that potential contract, and I, I have to imagine, you know, he would never say it, I don't think that Mike Elias would ever say it out loud, but I've got to imagine those conversations are part of it, and I have reason from conversations that I've had with other people around baseball to believe that's all part of the conversation when you sign a player like Adley Rutschman or you draft a player like Adley Rutschman. It's not as simple as, well, we're in charge now. No, no, no. If you're going that route, you got to understand that they're going to have a say in how all this process works. Yeah, Mike Elias did say some things on MLB Network Radio a few days ago. He said, referring to Adley Rutschman, he should get here to Baltimore pretty quickly, and I hope he has a pretty smooth ride through the minor leagues, but he just hasn't played minor league baseball yet, really. The guy has not played in AA or AAA. That's really unprecedented. I think we've got to take it one step at a time here and try to check off those boxes. And then he did. Oh, and, and, and Zach, I don't think anybody. I think it would be nuts for Adley Rutschman to be on the opening day roster next year. I mean, right. like he, to, to, to jump that significantly, and I get it, it's, it's a weird situation because there was no minor league season this year, but I, I still think you have to go to the next step and you have to do something there. But I, I'm talking short of him going to Bowie and, and hitting 220 or something like that, I, I think that we can understand why this might be an elevated process. Well, yeah, an and... If if we get Adley Rutschman at any point in 2021, I think it's a bonus for Orioles fans. I, I, I'm not in the camp like Greg Amsinger, who tor- torches the Orioles any chance he gets. But he said last year, but, but last year when Adley Rutschman right. had played a month and a half of, of minor league baseball in his career, said he should be the Orioles' opening day catcher. That's nuts. That's, that's absolutely nuts. But the idea that Adley Rutschman has gone in the last two months, just from what he did over the summer from... Uh, we're not going to see him, too. Uh, we might see him. I think that's a big deal here in Baltimore. I, I, Paul, but I do really think that that reflected more of a look at where the Orioles are than it reflected Adley Rutschman, right? Like, yeah. I, I think we're all trying to line all of these things up so the Orioles get the most bang for their buck with Adley Rutschman being on teams that are potentially competitive, right? Like, he's yes. the most important part of this rebuild. So I think for a lot of people to cover this team and trying to map out what would make the most sense for the Orioles it would make the most sense for his clock to start as close to whenever they think the rebuild could be coming to fruition as possible. But the side of it that I just don't think enough people have considered is Adley Rutschman's side of it, and not even necessarily the performance side, 
but the business side of it for Adley Rutschman and his camp, which is when, when you drafted us, it was not our concern what your plan was, what your rebuild is. Our concern is getting him to the major leagues, getting his clock started, and getting as close to making as much money as he possibly can as soon as possible. So there's a, there's a, you know, there's a fair, like, they're not going to tell you, you better call him up next year. It, it can't work that way. Like, there's got to be reason in between those two things. But now we're talking about we had a full year removed, even though there was no season, there was a full year removed. That conversation has to start moving. You can't keep waiting on a college player because now you're pushing him towards 30 years old by the time his clock comes up. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I think the business side of it certainly has a lot to do with it. Now, Glenn, before we let you go, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, gracing the cover of the new print edition of Press Box. Uh, we talked to Stan a little bit about this. What went into your decision to put to give this honor to Trey Mancini? Yeah, and I heard you guys talking to Stan about it. This is really important to us, guys. We've done this now four years, and it's it's probably our biggest issue every year, the best of issue, which is available on stands right now. Um, you know, it's a tough year, right? Like, it was a tough year. We could not do the same best of issue that we've done in past years. We do, like, best in-game promotion or best uh, slam dunk or best things along those lines. We had to really reimagine what we were going to do. And so the first thing we kind of talked about was, well, let's maybe take the best of section this year and make it more about what, what folks did off the field or away from the field, what Baltimore athletes did um, in the fight against COVID-19, the fight for racial justice, two huge topics, and, and really the story of 2020. And, and so we thought about, like, you know, athletes that could maybe fit in, in those terms that might be a, a, a good consideration for Sports Person of the Year. But I, I just, we kept thinking about, you know, who's meant the most to us and our community, and, and rallying behind, and Trey Mancini's name just kept coming to mind. And so we, we sat down for the meeting, and we said, you know, I know he didn't play at all this year, and it's a weird year, but I think it sort of reflects the year that we had. And, and, and it's in part that Trey won his battle with cancer, but it's also in part that he did it so publicly. He did it with such dignity. Like, he didn't, he, he understood his role now also includes being a spokesperson for cancer survivors and those that are fighting their own fight, on top of the fact that he had already taken on the role of being the face of a franchise in the midst of a rebuild, on top of the fact that he had already taken on the role of being Mo Gabba's best friend, on t- all of these things. And as far as people that have put smiles on our faces, I-, I don't know that anyone has more than Trey Mancini has, despite the fact they didn't play a game this season. Um, we did it in concert, as Stan brought up, with the fact that we, after you know Mo being our winner a year ago, we wanted, and we, you know, I, I say this. I said this a few times now. When somebody passes away, we oftentimes say things like, "Well, we're going to carry their legacy with us forever," and we oftentimes forget that there's an obligation to that. Like we, yeah. we just sort of say it because it sounds nice in that moment, and we want to talk about how impactful they were. But we have a responsibility. We need to do that, and this is a small thing that we can do. That in ten years, somebody could pick up. Um, an issue of, of press box in December and see Mo Gabba sports person of the year award. And if you move to Baltimore from like Tulsa, Oklahoma in 20, you know, 24, you might say to yourself, what, what, what's, what's a Mo Gabba? What is, and that's the point. The point is we want to continue to have people like search and find out and learn more about Mo for the rest of time. Um, and, and so once we decided that it was an utter no brainer for Trey to be the answer. I mean, Trey and Mo's relationship was so special. And in fact, our story last year that Bill Ordine wrote about Mo Gabba is led off by Trey Mancini. And Trey, you know, the year that he was really struggling at the All-Star break, deciding that he was going to spend his break with Mo 
and that being the catalyst for him to sort of figure things out and get himself right in the second half of the season. So those two things kind of in concert together made it a really easy choice for us, for Trey Mancini to be our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. And um, we got we, we had we had conversations with Mo's mom, Sanzi, and she thought all of it was perfect. And so at that point, it, it seemed like a no-brainer. And, and, and really, you know, like there – it, it, it reflects in part that there weren't other good nominees, but I, I hope that it reflects in part that Trey is incredibly deserving of being recognized for everything that he has done for our community. Um, this is He's a little bit more than your typical athlete that's come through here. So I wanted all that to be reflected, and we're really proud of this issue because of that. Yeah, we, we are very proud of this issue, and Trey is certainly uh, as deserving as anybody for this recognition. And uh, Glenn, thank t- thanks to you and Luke and Stan for really holding Mo Gabba up high and letting his, his, his light still shine as brightly as it does even after his, his passing. Uh, it's a testament to your character and um, the people around us that you're, you're, you guys have done so much for Mo, for Sanzi, and just for this community. It's, it's, it's really important. It's a, it's a big deal. So thank you for well, bringing and, that and, to and us. Paul, I, I do hope that people hear that and understand. Like, that's, that's our responsibility. It's our responsibility now. Like, we, we took... We have to be honest. We took so much from Mo. He gave us hope. He gave us, you know, on on days that were dark, um, we felt strength because of Mo Gabba. Now it's on us. Like we we took. Like we have to be honest about it. We took from him. He he made us feel better about ourselves. He made us proud to be from this area to share something with such a perfect human being. Now it's on us. And moving forward, we have to have the obligation for people to know who Mo was, and, and why his story matters so much. And so we need to spread it at every opportunity we get. And in conversation when we're around people, um, we, we, we have to carry that. We can't let it be that in two years people don't have forgotten about Mo Gabba. That can't occur. This has to continue forever. He was the most important person we ever had in this city. Yeah, he, he absolutely was. Couldn't have said it better myself. Now, now, Glenn, we got to get a break. But before we let you go, is there anything you want to plug uh, before we let you go? I know just the print issue. We're going to do shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, and we're going to take um, uh, Christmas Eve and, and Christmas Day off for our families. So uh, I hope that you're tuned in. We'll react obviously to the Ravens game tomorrow. Of course, I got Project Game Day tomorrow. Uh, my halftime and post game, but I really appreciate you guys. And just please get out this week and pick up your copy. And, and, and a thank you to everyone. I know Paul, you donated as well. Thank you to everyone who donated for our code drive. It's, it's uh, overwhelming how humbled I was. We took over 10,000 pieces of clothes wow. to uh, helping up mission this week. And it's the biggest drive we've ever done in, in the midst of a global pandemic in a year that I thought we might not be able to do one. So I'm so humbled by all of you that stepped up and, and made donations and got involved with our code drive this week. Just a, just a hearty thank you to everybody in the community. Absolutely, Glenn. Thanks for all that you do, man. You have a, have a happy holiday, all right? And the very same to you guys. Thank you. Take care. All right, that was Glenn Clark, host of Glenn Clark Radio, which you can find in this exact studio, the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. You can find Glenn at Glenn Clark Radio on Twitter. Go to glennclarkradio.com uh, for more content and his archives. We have to get a break real quick, and then we're going to come back and do some Orioles banter. I just want to remind you that every Monday through Friday, you can find Glenn Clark and Kyle, Kyle Ottenheimer bringing their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen 
internetpressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ravens linebacker Chris Board, Didi Gregorius, Kevin Harlan, and much more. Kevin Harlan is fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. He is. Uh, find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at pressboxonline.com. We're going to get a quick break, come back, and give you the Orioles' five best relief pitching seasons of all time. Glory Days Grill Fall Winter Seasonal Menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out, on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new shrimp appetizers, homemade meatloaf, impossible cheesesteaks, and more. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and positive during this challenging time in our community. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A- financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. If you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them. With Pressbox's Project Game Day, I'm Glenn Clark, and I'm with you at halftime of every game. And then I'm joined post-game by a panel of experts, including Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com slash Sports and post-game also at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is just the ref's fault all season long that's press boxes project game day every game day this season brought to you by wise markets and the u.s army if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win ask yourself What's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brett the Hitman Hart. Good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Let's no. champion! 
Chris Jericho, Le Champion, AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to the Battle Round, coming to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. We're going to get to our Orioles banter segment now. We have to try and do this quickly because we do have Al Pulaski coming up in a matter of minutes, and we've run a little bit long today. But So we're going to jump right into it. Orioles banter, top five relief pitching seasons in team history. I'm going to start out first with my number five guy, and that is Stu Miller, 1965, 189 ERA, 997 whip, 14-7 and seven record with 24 saves, and a 4.2 war in 119 innings pitched. The Orioles won 94 games that year but finished third in the American League and thus out of the playoffs based on the format back then. Stu Miller, however, was right in the middle of that successful team. 14 wins were second on the team. His 24 saves led the team. And his 119 in the third innings pitch were the fifth highest despite pitching exclusively out of the bullpen at the ripe old age of 37. This was during a time when 300 innings pitched from a starter was viewed the way we view 200 innings now. 14 wins with a 189 ERA and that many innings gets you Cy Young consideration these days. Now it's just another run-of-the-mill season for Miller. Uh, Not the first time he won 14 games. Not the first time he pitched to a sub-2 ERA uh, with that many innings. He also did it for the Giants about five years earlier. Zach, who you got at number five? I have Bob Reynolds from 1973. He was a seven-game winner in relief, which I think seven games is pretty solid for a relief pitcher. Uh, He had a 1.95 ERA, an ERA plus of 191, a 1,072 whip, and then he also had nine saves, but more of a middle reliever, short uh, reliever type of guy. Uh, didn't really lead the, lead the league in anything, but just a very overall solid uh, season in 1973 from Bob Reynolds. All right, so at number four for me, and this guy has to be in there because he's arguably one of the greatest relievers in the history of the Orioles, Darren O'Day, 2015. Now, forget about the fact that he had a 240 ERA and a 994 whip in seven seasons as an Oriole. You can make the argument that Darren O'Day is the greatest reliever in team history. In 2015, he had a 152 ERA, a 934 whip, a 6-2 record, and a 2.7 war. He was the lone signing by Buck Showalter in, 2011, in the 2011 offseason before Dan Duquette took over as GM. And he was at the forefront of a 2012 bullpen that went 32-11 with a 3 ERA as the Orioles won 93 games and made the playoffs for the first time in 15 years. Yet 2015 was his best season in the orange and black. Uh, for and it happened to come in a season where the team needed a five-game winning streak at the end of the season just to finish 500. His six wins paced the bullpen, as did his 68 appearances, as did his 152 ERA. If O'Day doesn't pitch for the Orioles in 2015, they're not a 500 ball club. Despite Zach Britton's brilliance, O'Day was the leader of that bullpen. Glad to see him back healthy in 2020. Pitched to a 110 ERA in 19 games for the Braves in, the, in 2020. Yeah, he's still doing it. But at number four for me, I have the 2013 season of Jim Johnson. 2.94 ERA, a league-leading 50 saves, a 1.280 whip, a 139 ERA plus, and he finished 63 games in total. I think anytime you get 50 saves in a season, that's something to be extremely proud of, and that helps out the Orioles' bullpen a ton, and he led the league. So that's just an incredible season from Jim Johnson. And also coming off in a season that was even better in 2012. Well, I left his twenty uh, his 2013 season off because he blew nine saves that year. 
He blew nine saves, Fair he, and the Orioles finished six and a half games out of a wild card spot. Jim Johnson blew nine saves. Good season, fifty saves, but when you figure he came in in fifty nine appear in fifty nine save opportunities, that's where. And then he ended up getting traded for Jameel Weeks uh, because of that poor season. My number three season, Jim Johnson, twenty twelve, two four nine ERA, fifty one of fifty four saves, which led the American League one point zero one nine WHIP and a two point four. War Johnson had been a solid reliever for the Orioles for four seasons uh, prior to 2012. In fact, he had appeared in 69 games and logged 91 innings in 2011. Took over as a closer in the seasons last month after Kevin Craig faltered. Uh, entering 2012 as a full-time closer, Johnson hit the ground running. Again, 51 saves and 54 opportunities to lead the American League. And that was the first of, as we acknowledged, back-to-back 50-plus save seasons, both seasons leading the American League. Uh a hell of a year for Jim Johnson, arguably his best as an Oriole. Yeah, I also have Jim Johnson's 2012 as my number three. Uh, you know, you just said all the stats, but one thing that really stood out to me is that he finished 14th in MVP voting as a relief pitcher, which is just incredible. That just doesn't really happen that often. And, you know, the MVP usually goes to a hitter or a frontline starter very seldom, but. That's incredible the relief pitcher was able to finish that high and even get consideration. Obviously, an all-star finished seventh for the Cy Young. Again, relief pitchers really don't win Cy Young too often. So, an incredible season and easily the best of his career. And, you know, he even had some solid years later down the road in Atlanta. And so and for the Angels in 2018, yeah. yeah. Very, very solid pitcher in his career, but incredible two years for the Orioles there with, you know, a combined over 100 saves. Uh, Jim Johnson was as steady as they came for the Orioles through 2012. Again, we mentioned the nine blown saves in 2013 which was very frustrating to say the least. Uh, number two, I have Randy Myers, 1997, a 1.51 ERA, 45 of 46 saves, which led the American League, a 1.156 whip, only allowed two home runs, and he had a 3.1 war. Look, when Randy Myers entered the game in 1997, you knew it was over. He was so good that I remember the one save that he blew. I was 12. I'm in the front yard playing catch with my dad. We're listening to the Orioles play the Oakland Athletics on the radio. And a young Jason Giambi, who had not become the roided-out freak that we knew for the Athletics and, and the Yankees in the, in the 2000s, a young Jason Giambi takes him deep for a two-run homer in the ninth inning to take a 3-2 deficit into it and turn it into a 4-3 lead. Randy Myers was so good that we remember the one bad outing that he had the entire year. 45 of 46 saves uh, was really the centerpiece of that bullpen. There's nothing more you can say. It was the best season of Randy Myers' career, and he was an all-star closer more than a few times. Randy Myers, 1997, 151 ERA and 45 saves. I also have Randy Myers in 1997 as my number two, as I think you almost have to. He's clearly the second best in Orioles history. And, you know, what's impressive to me is that he did all of this at his age 34 season, which just doesn't really happen too often. You see guys, you know, peak around their age 30 season, age 28 season, somewhere around there. To have your best year, and by far, at your age, you know, 34 season in 1997 is incredible. An all-star, and finished fourth in MVP voting, again, mm-hmm. extremely high. Finished fourth in Cy Young voting as well, so, you know, he he's extremely close in both of those categories, and... He almost had to be. He was just incredible, and like you said, lights out, blew only one save, and he had an 8.4, you know, strikeouts per nine, which is pretty incredible too, um, you know, for a for a closer because they, you know, faced the, in, in oftentimes the best guys in the lineup. So, 
just an incredible uh, year from Randy Myers, and one that is probably underappreciated. A lot of a lot of people probably don't remember that year. Well, it's underappreciated because it was 23 years ago. It was the Orioles' last winning season before they lost for 14 straight years, and Zach Britton blew it out of the water. And, and, and Zach right. Britton is number one. I know he's number one on your list. For both there's, of us. There's no way he can't because, simply put, his 2016 campaign was the greatest single season by a reliever in the history of Major League Baseball. Like You can argue about Mariano Rivera all you want. This is the greatest season in the history of Major League Baseball. .54 ERA is the lowest in the modern era. The lowest. It, 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 um, Fernando Rodney had a .60 in 2012. Zach Britton, .54 in 2016. 47 of 47 in saves. 836 whip. He allowed one home run. The most phenomenal number here... Four earned runs allowed in 67 innings pitched. Four. He allowed four earned runs. With a, he had a 4.1 whip, uh, war. This was the greatest season in the history of relief pitching in Major League Baseball. And, you know, fitting right before that season in the offseason, his, uh, his sinker was voted the best, nastiest pitch in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean... That's the year that I watched out of all of these years the most clearly, um, in, you know, in 2016. And you knew the minute he came in, the game was over. The minute, oh, yeah, the minute it, was he came, it was done. And he probably should have won Cy Young. I, I think that just because relief pitchers don't usually win it doesn't mean Zach Britton shouldn't have won it or won it. And, and I think he really should have. Um, he was just so lights out. And there's one stat that stands out to me here. And I was talking to you about this last night, but baseball reference has him at an 803. ERA plus, which makes no sense. But then I did a little more research, and it actually says that ERA plus is ballpark adjusted. So maybe for Camden Yards, inflated this number by by quite a lot because the same website, Baseball Reference, also has the highest ERA plus of all time at 293. So I don't know what's going on there, but whatever that is, the league average is 100. They have him at 803. That's insane. He was absolutely dominant. He he, was he, he's the best relief, relief pitcher of all time for that season. It, it's incredible. All right, Zach's going to give us a little bit, a bit of a live read here while I get Al Polowski on the line. All right, the latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year. This year, it's Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Thank you for that, Zach. Lovely as always. On the line now, he is the Emmy award-winning host of Indians Live for Sports Time in Ohio. He is Al Paulowski. How, Al, how are you today? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're absolutely thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining the program for us. And look, we're going to dive right into it. The elephant in the room here. Uh, the Indians are changing their name. Um, Washington football team decided to rid themselves of the Redskins' name in 2020. All eyes moved to Cleveland, whose baseball team has been called the Indians since 1915. Chief Wahoo icon is gone. Team announced that they, too, will uh, drop the Indians' name. But they're going to play with it in 2021. Why not just get rid of the name now? Well, the main reason is that they have to give Major League Baseball um, a heads-up at a certain deadline, which is basically in June of the previous year. So when they made this decision to change the name, they were on or about the deadline, and, and because, you know, as you pointed out, it's been the Indians since 1915, so it's, it's 
been the, the Indians for 105 years. Who knows, the next new name might be another 105 years. So they wanted to, to take some time, give it some thought, um, consult with various groups, uh, you know, both with Native American leaders and also some folks in the city, and, and consult with the fans, and uh, try to come up with a name that, you know, could very well be around, again, for another 100 years and outlive us all, and, and make sure that they got something that, that's going to represent the region well. Well, it's have have you heard any names floated around about uh, that this team could be named in 2022? Yeah, there's been I mean gosh, there's probably been 50 to 100 names that have been out there. The most common ones that come up repeatedly are Spiders, whom the Indians were named, you know, back in the the 1890s. The one of the issues with that is when they were the Cleveland Spiders, they weren't very good. Yeah. Uh, number 2 People like my wife don't care for spiders, so I, I don't know if you know you want to you want to name it an arachnoid that, that some people don't don't really like, um, but that's a possibility. Uh, also, you know they, they do have the trademark names I know for the Cleveland Broncos, which they were for a year or two. Um, the Cleveland Naps for Nap Lajuay, who's uh, the, the Hall of Fame player for the Indians, um, and the Cleveland Blues. They already have those. They've had them for as long as I can remember. They don't do much with them, but those are already trademarked by the club. So those are all possibilities. And then Cleveland Guardians, which are a couple of statues on a bridge downtown many years ago were put there uh, that are called the Guardians. Some people think that might be an interesting name as well. So those are some of the ones that are thrown out there. I've also heard names that deal with Lake Erie, names that deal with the region like the Cleveland Unions or the Cleveland Ironworkers or the Cleveland Eries. Um, so there's there's a plethora of names out there. Which way they're going to go, though, right now, um, I'm not even sure if they know 100%. I think they have some ideas, but I think they want to do a lot more research here in the next few months. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes makes sense. We were kind of wondering how you just don't just drop the name like the Redskins did, but it seems to make sense after you've explained it. Now, it seems almost fitting that Cleveland would be losing its name at the same time that to outsiders, it seems that they're losing their identity. Uh, the Twins have put a stamp on this division. White Sox are loaded with young, controllable talent, poised to make a serious run. Cleveland, now look, they've made the playoffs five of the last eight years, won 90 games, four straight seasons. They were on a 90-plus win pace in uh, 2020. But they seem to be falling back to the middle of the pack. They're, they're, what are the Indians doing to keep themselves relevant in the AL Central. Are they contenders, or are they kind of taking a step back here? They think they can contend this year, and I think they can, too, just because of the pitching. The, the pitching's going to be very, very good, even if they wind up trading Carlos Carrasco, who's been the subject of some rumors. Um, not that a lot of people outside of this market maybe hear as Did we lose? a lot, but... You know, whether they have Carlos or not, and he's been very good for the Tribe. He had a good year last year, and if he, he sticks did. around, great. But even if he moves on, they've got some good young talent. You know, Shane Bieber's the Cy Young Award winner, and he's still young and controllable. Uh, you've got Aaron Savali and Zach Plesak, who are on the uptick. You've got Tristan McKenzie, who was a rookie last year, debuted, and he looked very good. And they've got a couple of other guys that are coming up, too. So they've got a good, strong, young group of starting pitchers and their bullpen is starting to take shape as well with James Karinchek who finished sixth in the American League in rookie of the year voting he was basically a setup man last year but got a couple of save opportunities he's probably ready to take that role so one you know behind the pitching if you've got pitching that's consistent like the Indians have had and it should be good again this upcoming season you're going to be in most ball games just because you should be able to hold the other team in check um, lineup wise 
they've got, again, a couple of players coming up they're very excited about. Nolan Jones is one of those uh, who's a third baseman by trade, but uh, very athletic. You can put him in the outfield, and he'll probably be able to make that transfer without, without much trouble. They've got, a, again, a couple of young players coming up. Uh, but they are, you know, it appears they're going to trade Francisco Lindor before opening day unless they get, you know, absolutely nothing of value in return for him. Then they'll hold on to him. But I, I think he most likely will be traded. They had to let Carlos Santana go. Uh, they're, they're probably not going to re-sign Cesar Hernandez either, who had a, a nice one year for Cleveland in 2020. So they are losing some players there. But the other thing that they have is the same thing that, for example, Minnesota has. I mean, Minnesota non-tendered Rosario, who has killed Indians pitching the last two or three years. He's been one of the few twins, one of the few players in baseball that has consistently hit try pitching and done it with power. They couldn't, they couldn't keep him. So there's other teams that are in the same boat as the Indians that are looking at 2020, looking at the losses. You know, I don't have an exact number, but I've been told it's in the tens of millions. They're not the only one. Twins are in that same boat. Mm-hmm. Tigers are in that same boat. The White Sox are, are, are they're spending, um, but they've got some guys that, that health-wise, are they going to be there? Yeah, paper, they look like the team to beat right now in the Central. But it's going to be interesting to see how this year plays out in, in the one area the Indians are going to need to bolster a little bit as the lineup, especially in the outfield. Hey, Alex, Zach Goodman. Um, so we were talking before, obviously, about Francisco Lindor. He's their incredible shortstop who is probably inevitably going to be traded in this offseason. But who could be the suitor for Francisco Lindor, number one? And number two, what kind of profiles, as far as prospects goes, are the Indians looking for as a return? Um, but it's a great question, and it seems that it changes every day who the favorite could be. But, you know, I keep hearing the Mets over and over again. I've heard the Yankees, so the two New York teams are there simply because they're in New York, they're in a market yeah. that has revenues that are ten times what everybody else's are, so they can afford to, to play players like Francisco Lindor. There's a lot of teams that are simply not even in the in the running because of what happened in 2020 and the revenues being so far down, but... I would say those are two you'd have to look at. The Dodgers, for the last couple of years, have been flirting with the Indians about Lindor. But at the end of the day, the Dodgers didn't want to give up a prospect package that was suitable to the tribe. Now with Corey Seager having the sort of year he did last year, especially in October, I find it unlikely that that the Dodgers will be a landing spot for him. But if you look around, you you see teams and places where he would fit. I mean, he would fit in Boston, but... It appears the Red Sox aren't in a position where they want to add payroll for just a one-year guy. That's why they traded Mookie Betts. San Francisco, I think he fits over there. Uh, San Diego was interested for a while, but Fernando Tatis Jr. had such a great year. They, they, why move him off? Um, so your, your options around baseball are, are somewhat limited. This is probably the worst time, which nobody could have predicted, but to, to have to trade a guy like a Lindor. But it is what it is. You have to deal with the, with the hand you're dealt. I would say the Angels might be another landing spot for him, too. But right now, I mean, to me, I look at the Mets. They've got a new owner. Uh, he's got a lot of money. He could easily afford to deficit spend and take on Lindor and think that he might be able to sign him long term. To me, with, with some of the prospects they have that are already at the club, it's funny because the Mets have prospects that are, are have already played at the majors that the Indians would be interested in. They don't have a whole lot outside of those guys that are already there. So in their minors, it's a little bit dry. But you can look at their major league roster, and there's, you know, who you know J.D. Davis could be a guy, a couple other guys. I've had Rosario. There's guys there that are interesting to the Indians. 
The Blue Jays are the other team um, that, that has been mentioned quite a bit. Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins are very familiar with Frankie because they had, you know, Ross was the farm director here uh, when Frankie was drafted and came up. Um, Mark was the GM for all those years. They're familiar with them. They've got some nice young players. I keep hearing Lourdes Gurriel as, as the guy that the Indians would target. So what the Indians would look back in return is they're going to want an outfielder, a young outfielder with a ton of potential that can play right now at the major league level. Uh, and then they're going to want at least a couple of prospects, too, that could be pitching or even another outfielder. But that's where they're looking, the outside chance you can get a second baseman, too, because right now the Indians don't necessarily have one. They've got Yu Chang that they're high on. But he's had a couple of opportunities at the big league level, small sample size, hasn't really delivered yet. They still think he can, but there's a, there's a question mark there. So outfield number one, they're always looking for good young pitching, second baseman. That, those are the, the positions that the Indians are looking for. Yeah, and that kind of leads me in my next question, because if and when the Indians do trade Lindor, they'll have to replace him at shortstop. Is there any free agent they could be looking at, as in, you know, Andrelson Simmons or Marcus Semyon? Yeah, I think they've they've probably kicked the tires on all those guys just to see where they're at. Um, you know, you look at Marcus Simeon, you look at him having to play in Oakland all those years, and you think of bounce back at Progressive Field. I mean, it's it's a it's a great recipe. I I've always liked Marcus Simeon. I think he would be a nice player. Mm-hmm. Um, Simmons is another guy. You know, in the past the Indians have liked, but they've had Lindor, so there's been no reason to pursue him. So I think those two guys are a couple of guys they will look at. Plus, you have to see which they are right now, too. What do you get back in a trade? So maybe you trade Lindor and you get a young shortstop back. I mean, do you send him to the Mets and, and, and get Rosario? Do you, you send him to the Yankees and maybe somehow pull Glaber Torres out of it, which would be fantastic for the Tribe. I'm not saying they're going to be able to do that, but, but that those are possibilities as well. What about the Braves? I've heard the Braves, and they would love to have him. You know, but the Braves don't really need him like some other teams would need him. So would the Braves be willing to trade one of their shortstops? They've got a couple. So that's kind of what we're looking at. There really is nobody right now in the Indians farm system that is ready to be an everyday major league shortstop. I think the closest, then they have three of them that are very strong, but the closest is about a year away, maybe, maybe even two years. They have a kid named Tyler Freeman, but he's probably a year away, especially not having a triple-A season last year to – it's just probably where he's going to wind up by the end of 2020 would it be a normal season. Then they've got a couple of young kids, too, that are probably two years away, maybe even three that are very strong prospects. But, yeah, they're going to need somebody this year. I think they get somebody like you, you know, could they get a Marcus Simeon or, or an Andrelton Simmons, or can they make a trade in, in, with Lindor, and does that package include a shortstop? Well, now you mentioned a guy a little bit earlier in this segment by the name of Nolan Jones, and back in uh, back in 2018, I was doing a segment um, for 1300 AM here, and they asked me about the Indians uh, because there was rumors that they might that they might try to trade for Machado, move Lindor over to second base, and have you know that that infielder pretty much would have been unstoppable, and. The guy I targeted when I talked to him about that was Nolan Jones. Great makeup, developing power at the corner infield spots. At that point in time, he was a middle-of-the-pack prospect in Cleveland's top 30. Fast forward to 2020, he's their top prospect. How did he fare at the alternate training site, and why didn't we see him in 2020? The reports that I heard on him were good. Um, They were happy with him. They love his work ethic. Uh, He continues to advance. Obviously not as much as if 
he could have played in games like any prospect in baseball. That would have been key if he could have gotten some minor league games under him and been at the AAA level. Um, one, the main reason that you didn't see him was because the Indians obviously didn't need a third baseman with Jose Ramirez. But, you know, could he have played in the outfield? I, you know, he, I, he was getting reps at the alternate site there. And, again, that is looking like if Ramirez stays at third, that's where he's going to have to go. He'll go to left field. But, again, he's, he's athletic. He'll be able to make that conversion, I think, without much problem. Um, but the Indians, I don't think, wanted to put him in that situation this year where they are a team that was, you know, going for a playoff spot. They ultimately ended up getting one. They made a great close to the year. You want a rookie who has never played at the major league level, really never played above double A, put him in a major league situation where you're trying to, to get a pennant and you got a new position you're, you're trying to convert to at the major league level. That That's all a lot there. So yeah. they felt rushing him would not have necessarily helped the club or helped him. So that's why we didn't see him in 2020. We will probably see him at some point in 2021. I think he's got a shot to make the club out of spring training. I think it's a better shot if we have a normal season. Um, we'd probably see him in June uh, after he gets a couple of months under his belt at AAA and gets to get some reps in the outfield down there. Um, and, again, I, I do know he is a great kid. I mean, he, he's friends with Tristan McKenzie. He showed up for Tristan's Major League debut uh, he couldn't get in the ballpark because of the COVID restrictions last year, so he went to the top of the garage so he could look in with a couple other people and, and support his teammates. So that's that's the type of kid he is. He's a, he's a great kid. He works hard. Um, everything that I've heard about him, uh, and I haven't had the chance to talk to him yet, so I don't I haven't met him on a personal level, but everything that I've heard about him from people inside and outside the organization say that he is he's the real deal. He's got great makeup. He's a great character kid, and He's probably going to be a very good major leaguer. Well, yeah, and that's why I had my eye on him a few years back because he just seems to fit that profile. Um, look, the, the Indians, it's, it's no secret. They haven't won a world championship since 1948. Um, they've had three World Series appearances since 1954. It's a fan base that's dying for a championship, and they've had the talent to get them there so many times over the last 25 years, but they haven't been able to get it to get over the hump. What does it mean to keep this team in contention to the city of Cleveland? What does it mean to keep them in contention and to go and capture that, finally capture that World Series championship that's been so elusive to them? Yeah, obviously it would, it would mean a ton. I mean, uh, the Indians are, are the team that, uh, that has been around longer than any other professional franchise in this market. I mean, they've had professional baseball in Cleveland since the 1800s. They've had this franchise since 1901. Um, it would mean a lot, you know, it's the, it's the franchise, it's the team that my grandparents always talked about, God rest their souls, at least they got to see the 48 World Championship. Uh, my mom is in her mid-80s now, and she got to see the 48 World Championship, but that's always been her team. And well, you know, she likes, she wants the Browns to win, she wants the Cavs to win, the Indians have always been that team. And, you know, the Browns are doing well again, um, and that's great to see, finally, in this market to have uh, the Browns and you know, looks somewhat like the team from the 1980s, which was a great team that just missed, uh, thanks to John Elway and the Broncos, of being <laughs> the Super Bowl three different years. But the Browns are back. Uh, the Cavs are not going to be there for a while, it appears. Um, it, with LeBron James not on this team since he came into the league, they've never made the playoffs. When he's on the team, they're a championship contender. When he's not on the team, you know, this is a 20-30 to 30 win team every single year. So the Browns are back. The Indians are, are right there. You, you want to keep pace with what the Browns are doing. That, you know, if, if this could be a town that has a great NFL team and a great MLB team, 
you know, I think that would be the ultimate sports dynasty here in Cleveland if, if for the fans if they could have those two. But yeah, the Indians I think are near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, and if if they could find a way to win a world championship, boy, it would be a heck of a parade down Euclid Avenue. I'll tell you that. Oh man, they were so close in uh in 2016 so close with that with that incredible game seven i think we were i was pulling for him myself i, I didn't care about the the cubs 108 year thing I, I wanted to see the indians win it but uh al we gotta let you go but really appreciate you joining the program thanks so much and you have a great holiday season you got it you two guys thanks for having me thanks take care that was Al Pawlowski, who is the Emmy Award-winning host of Indians Live for Sports Time Ohio. Uh, really great interview with him, giving us some intel about the Indians and the, the name change that's coming in the future. Uh, I just want to remind you real quick uh, that if you can't be there for Baltimore football games this season, the next best thing so I got to turn on my mic. The next best thing is to at least be with each other virtually to talk about them with Press Boxes Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime of every game, and he's joined post game by a panel of experts, which will include Ken Zalis and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Find all shows at Facebook.com/slash/PressBoxSports and post game at PressBoxOnline.com/slash/Radio. Come vent your frustrations, sing the praises of the purple and black, or explain why everything is the refs' fault all season long. Glenn and Rita will be will be with you for the Jacksonville Baltimore battle tomorrow. That's Press Box's Project Game Day every game day this season, brought to you by Wise Markets and the U.S. Army. Do you need your fantasy fulfilled, or do you need your fantasy football lineup filled anyway? Pressbox's own Ken Zalas is the number three ranked fantasy expert in the entire country, and he joins Glenn and Kyle this week to help you get ready for your fantasy football championships at the very special time of 5 p.m. this Wednesday. Listen, listen to the show at pressboxonline.com radio, or watch the show and get your own fantasy questions in at facebook.com pressboxsports. That's the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas at a very special time this week, 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Brought to you by CCBC, Wise Markets, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub-people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. 
They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Tired of online shopping, takeout food, and vacations by car? Then join the COVID-19 Plasma Trials, sponsored by Johns Hopkins University. You can receive plasma that contains antibodies from recovered COVID-19 patients. So if you or a loved one has just tested positive, participating in the trial could help you fight it. Join today at covidplasmatrial.org so we can all get back to boutique stores, jet setting, and not having to eat out of a cardboard box. covidplasmatrial.org. The fight starts here. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it's our very special annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Trey Mancini, whose courageous fight against colon cancer and dedication to the community inspired us this year. We also recognize other Baltimore sports fighters, the current and former local athletes and coaches who have taken active roles in the fight against COVID-19 and for social justice. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. God love the Glenn Clark radio music. God love it. It's the greatest. I mean, we have to say it every week, or it's yeah. not a not a installment it's a, of the bat around. It's not the bat around without it. An episode. All right. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange uh, Zach Goodman modeled Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They are not CDC-approved. But they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful to those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks right now. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Go get it right now. Don't waste a second. Don't waste a second. They're not going to be available second. for another half hour, so better yeah. go now. <laughs> uh, he's just kidding. They're available anytime you go to the website. Again, that's... Uh, that's pressboxonline.com slash masks to get yours right now. All right, Zach. Good show today, man. Very good show. Good good show. Glenn was great. Stan was great as always. Al was, was a delight to talk to about the Cleveland Indians. It's so funny, man, because I spent all baseball season and all offseason trying not to say Cleveland Indians, and yet I've said the Cleveland Indians probably 20 times today. Uh, it's Maybe refer to them as like Cleveland baseball team from now on. We can just do that. But. Well, like I said, whenever I would do the uh, payoff pitch, uh, not the payoff pitch. Well, wow. 
Well, that the, was the payoff pitch around the league. The payoff pitch around that's what it was. It was a payoff pitch around right. the league. Thank you. So okay. Anytime I did the payoff pitch around the league, I referred them to simply as Cleveland. It'd be Oakland seven, Cleveland six. You know, I, I, it, it's it's hard not to say the name. They've been named that for 105 years. So anyway, speaking of Cleveland, the Ravens just beat the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. And look, let's give credit where credit is due. Cleveland, they're a pretty well-oiled machine right now. The Cleveland Browns are a pretty well-oiled machine right now. Baker Mayfield's playing at the highest level of his entire career. Uh, That team's rolling. That team is rolling. And look, the Ravens, they needed that win. They needed that win more than the Browns needed it. And they pulled it out. Managed to pull it out by the score of 47-42. If you missed the game, it was 42-42 when the Ravens got the ball back with 56 seconds left. Uh, Lamar Jackson... uh, Picked apart that that secondary 4-4 on that final drive to get that game-winning uh, field goal by Justin Tucker from 55 yards with all the swirling wins in that stadium. I don't think any other kicker in the league makes that kick. He's incredible. He, I mean, he's, we can't take him for granted. He's, he's seriously that great. He's, he, he, and here's the thing. He's going to be a Raven for life. The Ravens see these kickers around the league, and they say, man, are we lucky to have Justin. He will never kick for another team. I, I see kickers on every Sunday that the Ravens aren't playing. I watch NFL Red Zone, and I see every missed kick, and I go, how is it even possible you're missing a 31-yard field goal? Hey, Tucker missed their 36-yarder against did, the he Cowboys. Did, they, they jinxed him. The, they the they totally jinxed, jinxed him. him. It, 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 Tucker, it's, it's Not funny his fault. Because Tucker made 70 in a row before he missed the extra point against the Saints. Then he makes 70 in a row before he misses the... Um, the the th- seventy in the row from inside forty before right. he miss, misses the thirty six yard field goal against the Cowboys. But look, he's the greatest of all time. He is the greatest kicker of all time. Respect to uh, all due respect to all the other kickers in the league. He's the greatest kicker of all time. The Ravens know that. There were nine missed field goals and five missed extra points this past weekend in the NFL. Justin Tucker is is he he's a godsend. He's absolutely incredible. He's otherworldly. And then just to make sure they cover. The Ravens uh, get a safety on the final play of the game. That was all the Browns doing. Just terrible. One of one of the worst lateraling sessions I've ever just seen. Just going backwards, number one, and then couldn't throw the ball accurately backwards either. So yeah. And, so and so Landry pretty, pretty ends up bad. taking the safety to help the Ravens. The Ravens were three and a half point favorites, I believe it was, or three point favorites, and they ended up winning by uh, by five. So they covered. Um, Lamar Jackson, man, the last two games. First of all, it was heroic. It was something out of a movie script. He he leaves a game with cramping, and people can say you know that he had he had to use the facilities. I believe him when he says his arms and his legs were cramping. He had he had the 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 galls on his arm from where he got the, the IV injected. Um, he said he took salt um, to try and get the 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 muscles the the juices flowing in the muscles. Leaves the game when the Ravens have a thirty four to twenty lead, a comfortable thirty four to twenty lead in the fourth quarter. And then with two minutes at the two-minute warning, Trace McSorley goes down. Lamar has to come back in the game with the Ravens trailing 35 to 34, fourth and five. He he takes off out of the pocket. Looks like he's going to run for the first down. And who does he find? The much maligned Marquise Brown, who had two crazy, ridiculous, terrible drops earlier in the game. Uh, one that would have extended the drive with McSorley in. And Brown makes the catch, takes it 44 yards for the touchdown. The Ravens never look back. Yeah, if Hollywood hadn't caught that ball, I would have been 
so furious because I was already furious that he dropped that perfect pass from Trace McSorley on third down earlier. And Hollywood even noted it. If you watch the Ravens Wired episode that comes out every week on YouTube, Hollywood said, I got us in this. I had to get us out. So he finally made the catch. Lamar lofted it in there. I mean, it was, it was a lollipop of a throw. He had to catch it. It was almost impossible to drop that ball, but he did. And he took it all the way in. But Lamar is just heroic. Like you said, he's, he's just, again, I'm going to use it again. Otherworldly is what Lamar Jackson is. He's not perfect. You know, no quarterback is, but Lamar Jackson came out of the locker room and showed everyone why he was the MVP in 2019, and he's not going to have a case for MVP this year, but those are the kind of plays that shows why he has been in the past and why Lamar Jackson is so important to this team. You can't put any other quarterback back there in this Ravens offense right now and have it work the same way. Yeah, it's and yeah, Lamar missed a couple throws. He did. He, he's he, not he, perfect. He had a couple of deep throws that with the right amount of touch are touchdowns. The one that Andrews comes to mind. Um, and frankly, it, he's got to hit him. He's got, he's got to hit Andrews. And, Andrews is wide open. You got to hit him. Overthrows him by about five yards. Um, look, it was, it was the MVP doing what the MVP does. And he's looked like the MVP the last two weeks. You know, r- running for 94 yards against the Cowboys and a score. Running for 124 yards and a score against the... Uh, uh, did, wait, did he score a touchdown uh, on... On Monday yes, night, yes, he did. He did have a rushing touchdown. Yeah, R- L- Lamar. Yeah, oh, yeah, he absolutely did. He scrambled to his right and ran up the seam. Yeah, yeah. L- Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the league the last two weeks, and this is good for the Ravens. Look, they needed that win. There's a, there's a great chance they're going to finish eleven and five, um, and you have to imagine that the team in front of them is probably going to. Uh, a team in front of them is probably going to lose. You you have you have the Dolphins playing the Patriots, and they have to play the Raiders, and they play the Bills. You have the Colts um, playing the Texans this week, and if the Colts lose one more game, the Ravens leapfrog because they beat them head to head. The Colts play the Texans, and then the Steelers, uh, and then what? What's the other team? Tennessee? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. The, the Browns play the Giants, and then they have to play the the Steelers in Week 17. If the Browns lose a game. The Ravens leapfrog them. So you still need help, but the chances of getting in the playoffs look that much better. Yeah, they're 89% chances right now, so pretty high. And that is the highest of any possible wildcard team right now. So they're in very good shape. But as far as the Colts go, they have the Texans uh, uh, Sunday tomorrow, and then the Steelers the following week, and then the Jaguars to finish out yeah. um, their, their season. So pretty easy three games outside of the Steelers so two easy games um, but they could, I could even Texans could even always sl- play them tough Texans they, always play them tough Texans have started to play a little bit better later in the season and they started pretty rough but they've well, gotten a they, little they, bit well they, they got embarrassed like 35 yeah. to 8 or 35 to 7 uh, last week by the Bears but, uh, I, I think they have something to prove this weekend yeah I agree and, and it's a you know any anytime you play a divisional game it's always a little bit more in it so yeah, so, uh, look, the Ravens need to do their part. They need to win out. They need to ha- finish this five-game winning streak to go into the, into the, into the playoffs. Um, you win, you're probably in. Just take care of business. With that in mind, let's talk about um, this game against Jacksonville. Look, uh, James Robinson is the best undrafted uh, running back we've seen in quite some time. Um, He's having a thousand yard season. Gardner Minshew, the second, is now the the starting quarterback yet again down there in Jacksonville. Terrible red zone offense, terrible time of possession offense, terrible offense as a whole. But they they seem to be in every game that they play. What do you have for this game? 
Yeah, there are some interesting offensive weapons the Jags have that the Ravens are going to have a little bit trouble stopping. But James Robinson is actually limited in practice all week, so he might have a limited role on Sunday. I'm not sure if that will you know, come to fruition or not. We'll see. But if he's limited, that helps out the Ravens a ton because he's been incredible easily one of the best rookie running backs and he went undrafted so um you know stopping him or not having him play as much would be great for the Ravens DJ Chark is always hard to cover and they have a couple other guys like Marquise Lee that are just always around the ball so Gardner Minshew he's not great but he's not awful either I'm not sure why he was benched in the first place I mean they couldn't have imagined Mike Glennon was going to be even better I think he got hurt at first did he get I think he got hurt and then they just they just let him let Glennon keep playing Glennon and Lutton yeah he he's He's all right. I'm not really worried about Gardner Minshew dotting up the Ravens' defense, although the Ravens are a little bit injured in that secondary. You know, Jimmy Smith is not going to play, and Marcus Peters is going to be limited. So this game, I don't really see much as, as the Jaguar. I, I don't really think they're going to be able to do much, is what I'm trying to say here. And I think the Ravens will handle this game pretty easily. I, I think it's going to be about 35-10. to 10. 35-10? Yeah. All right, 35-10, Zach. That's what Zach thinks. I, I, look, Lamar Jackson's getting hot at the right time. Exactly. Lamar Jackson's getting hot at the right time. They're not going to be sitting – he's not going to be sitting out and getting cold any of these games, um, you know, barring health. Um, really, he's he's the, the oil to this machine. You know, with, 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 without him, you're, you're going to stall out. You're not going to run. And – with that in mind, I think that Lamar Jackson is going to take this game over like he does, like he has the last two weeks. I think you're going to see probably close to 100 yards rushing from him. Uh, I expect to see, I expect to see a ton of carries from Edwards, Dobbins, and Lamar. I felt bad for Mark Ingram last week. Man. One snap, one snap, and God love him. And you know, if you listen to Ravens Wired, he's still motivational. He's still that great teammate. But you know, inside he's a competitor. It's it's killing him, and it, it, it breaks my heart. You know what I mean? And I still think that there's a role for him on this team. Maybe this is a game where he kind of gets off the schneid a little bit, uh, especially in the second half with the Ravens having a big lead. I think the Ravens win this game running away. I think they're going to win this game 45-13. to 45-13 Ravens, uh, and I think that you will see a lot of backups playing in the fourth quarter. I hope so. Yeah, I really need to keep everyone healthy down the stretch. That's the most important. Keep everybody healthy, keep the momentum rolling, keep Lamar Jackson hot, uh, and hopefully we'll be talking about a Ravens win next week. Guys, thanks for tuning in to the Batter Round, and as always, thanks for uh, indulging our Ravens talk as we do every every Saturday during football season. We're going to get out of here, and uh, everybody, Merry Christmas to you. No show next week. We'll be back on January 2nd. Uh, we'll see you then.